get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. And he socks the 1-0. Deep left center. Bader giving it a look. And forget about it. Tyrone Taylor muscles up. And the Brewers hang four on Wainwright in the first. He's going to left center. Paul Goldschmidt walloped that one. And we are tied. Number 28 on the season, they have come storming back. This team is dangerous. Two in scoring position. Yachty doesn't go out to the first pitch, but it skips away. And the Cardinals grab the lead. Arenado come on down. It's 6-5. 3-1 is set to left center. All the outfielders are just going to watch it go. Paul Goldschmidt has a two-home run day. It's 8-5. He's up to 29 on the year, and the Cardinals are clicking on all cylinders right now. They're a force. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 7.03. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And there were times where we didn't give the St. Louis Cardinals much of a chance to be in the playoffs. And as a matter of fact, you could go back a couple months ago, Michelle, and probably think zero point zero was <laughs> the chance that the Cardinals had to make the playoffs. Now you got to feel pretty darn good this morning after an 8-5 win yesterday over the Milwaukee Brewers in a sweep of a four-game series. This is what happens after you win 12 in a row. You start to get drunk on possibility. Randy, when the Cardinals went down 5 nothing, I had no doubt that they were going to come back and win the game. When the bases got loaded, I thought, oh, Grand Slam, this is what's going to happen here. That's not how it played out, but they ended up coming back and winning the game. And the term scratching and clawing has been used a lot mm-hmm. this season in regards to the Cardinals. Now they're doing more than scratching and clawing. Now they're the Kool-Aid man busting through the door. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here are the Cardinals. And it seems like nothing is too much for this team to overcome. Even a month ago, if Adam Wainwright came out and, and got in a deficit the way that he did yesterday, we would have no confidence in the team to help him out. We would have no confidence in the offense to pick him up or to help calibrate at all. And now here we are looking at this team saying nothing is impossible. They find a way to win no matter what the circumstances. And this is the most fun that we've had here in St. Louis in a long, long time. It's unbelievable. So I was out at Fox Run and the game started and I'm changing my shoes in my car and stuff. And I get to the the front. I'm going to go hit some balls. And the, the pro, the great pro over at Fox Run, Dennis Biedenstein says, yeah, Wainwright just gave up a grand slam. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's a shame. <laughs> so I go over and I hit some balls and I'm getting ready to head out to the first tee. And I check my phone and it's 5 nothing. I said, well, the hell with this. They aren't going to win. It's, it was a nice run, 11 in a row. Yeah. Go out and play. 
get back in my car, check my phone, and they've won eight to five. And I texted BT. I literally said out loud, alone in my car, oh my blanking God. I wish there was a camera on you at that point. I was stunned. It was unbelievable. See, and that's, I'm the complete opposite where I'm expecting it now. They have raised the standards so much during this 12-game run that I expect them to overcome a 5-0 deficit and find a way to win. But maybe that's because Paul Goldschmidt and Tyler O'Neill and some of these guys are the hottest hitters on the planet right now. It's ridiculous. And it was 5 nothing. Top of the fifth, Yachty singles a run home to make it 5-1. to one. Tommy Edmond grounds into a force out to score Edmundo Sosa, make it 5-2. In the seventh inning, you're down 5-2. to two. Then Brad Boxberger with a bad throwing error uh, that made it 5-3. to three. And that brings Paul Goldschmidt to the plate with a runner aboard and an opportunity to tie this baby. He's going to left center. Paul Goldschmidt wallops that one. So we're tied at five, and the Cardinals don't stop there. In the eighth inning, and by the way, the Brewers did not play good baseball at all during this series. A pass ball by Manny Pena allows Nolan Arnauto to score. The Cardinals get another one on a sack fly by Yachty. And then in the ninth, just for a little uh, cherry on top of that whipped cream, Goldie again. 3-1 is set to left center. (laughs) All the outfielders are just going to watch it go. Paul Goldschmidt has a two-home run day. It's 8-5. Okay, we got a text a couple weeks ago, maybe within the last week, said take it or leave it. Goldie, O'Neal, and Arenado all hit 30 home runs or combined for 100. And I think I took, I left it on both of them. Wrong. Wrong again. Goldie's going to hit 30. <laughs> O'Neal's going to hit 30. Arnado's going to hit 30. And those three combined are going hit to hit 100. And that is the combination or the equation or the formula, I should say, that you need to be a postseason team to have your best players being your very best players. And, Randy, one thing during this streak that's really struck me is that the Cardinals aren't just winning. They're playing teams that are playoff teams or teams that are in the playoff hunt, and they are straight up demoralizing yeah, them. Yeah, they are. They are putting the nail and the coffin of every opponent that they have faced. The Reds, they take two out of three. Bye. Good luck the rest of the season. The Mets, they sweep them. The Padres, we see them fighting within the dugout. And here are the Brewers who this entire season have been atop of the table in the National League Central and have been looking back at the Cardinals. And then when you're supposed to be getting hot if you are the Brewers, if you're supposed to be establishing your force in the division for your one of your division rivals that is trying to get into the wild card. This is where you exert your dominance, and the Cardinals straight up facepalmed them. Big time. And I did fun with math last night. I put it up on the Twitter machine. If the Cardinals play 500 the rest of the way, they have 10 games left. If they play 500, they'll win 88 games, go 88 and 74. The Reds and Padres both already have 75 losses. So if the Cardinals play 500, Reds and Padres are gone. Philadelphia is right now 79 and 74. Philadelphia would have to go 8 and 1 just to, or 9 and 1, I'm sorry, in the remaining 10, just to tie a Cardinal team that went 500 the rest of the way. So, like you said, yeah, Cardinals have just face palmed them and said, eh. Bye. Yeah, they Heisman stiff-armed him. See you later. Yeah, we need a name for for this. It's like, I feel like Kevorkian is too aggressive, but they're just putting the nail in the coffin. They're, they're silently lulling a lot of these teams into the sweet darkness. Okay. Uh, you know, we, we, we need a we name for this. 65780. What are we going to call this? This is kind of this is John Wayne Gacy esque. You know what I'm saying? Like Randy, you're the guy gotta, for this. It's got to be a serial guy. It's got because yeah. they've killed 
three or four already. Uh, yeah, so. we're, we're talking Reds, Mets, Padres. Yep. Yeah. They haven't killed the Brewers, but they certainly put uh, a damper on their spirits. Yeah. So, Goldie, what do you think about this 12 in a row? Yeah, I mean, it's not something you can do. You can't just show up and say, hey, let's go win a bunch of games. It just kind of happens. All of a sudden, you look back, you're like, man, we play good, you know? Sometimes you got blowout victory like yesterday, a, a two to one, just you know where you guys had to kind of grind the whole way. Pitchers duel, high scoring game. You know we've had some where we come from behind, so yeah, that's kind of what it takes. It's a team effort. You know nobody can put the, really put their finger on it. You know if we could, they'd, they'd happen a lot more. So whether it's a good streak or a bad streak, our team, other teams, different sports. You know it's it's kind of hard to explain, but you know it just it just kind of happens and uh, just kind of enjoy it while it does and. Just go with it, I guess. You think there's something, though, Michelle, that seems to happen to the Cardinals a lot. It does. It does. There's something in the water. Yeah. It's devil magic. I mean, we all know what it is. is. We all know what it is. It's devil magic. I don't know who made the deal with the devil to get the devil magic, but thank you. It's working. I appreciate you because this is fun. But I think Paul Goldschmidt makes a really, really good point there. It's not like the team can just show up one day and say, hmm, our playoff uh, percentage, our chances here, not that high. So, you know, let's just win 12 in a row. Let's just, you know, (laughs) let's stop messing around, guys, and let's just win 12 in a row. It is so incredibly difficult to accomplish something like this, especially against the quality of opponents that the team has been facing. We did the math how many times, and we thought maybe if they could just yeah. squeak out a couple series wins and everybody else in the in the race falls apart, they could, they could absolutely just, you know, back into this thing. And instead, they came out and did the complete opposite of what we expected. They are absolutely dominating well, teams. And I didn't think they would be able to absolutely smoke the Brewers. Me either. I thought, play 500 against the Brewers and 800 against everybody else, but they, they smoked the Brewers. Our buddy, Adam Wainwright, comes up with strikeout number 2,000, although he doesn't strike out anybody for the first three. What, what took so long? Yeah, unlike last time today, I knew I needed just one. And I was trying not to let that affect pitch count or a, 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 a pitch selection or and, you know still throw the right pitches in the right situ- situations um, I did not execute a few of those in the first inning obviously but uh, as the game wore on I threw and, and probably half of those people just tipped balls you know just barely nicked a ball between their legs or just off Yachty's glove and, and didn't get a couple of close ones and I mean there was there was I don't know how many just barely foul tips that the guys had but it's the last two games you know I, I struck out three combined and I probably could have had 20 strikeouts combined if everybody had tipped balls that just swung and missed them so that's probably that's probably just a little bit of late life not on the end of the pitch just you know just being an honest uh, critiquer of my, of my own game and uh or 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 it's or it's the other teams going. I'm not going to be 2,000. You know that there might have had a, that, a little bit of that too. So I don't know. Maybe a bit of both. Congratulations to our guy Adam Wainwright joining Bob Gibson as the only Cardinals pitcher with 2,000 strikeouts. So happy to see Wayno reach that milestone in his career. And Randy, with the way that he's pitching, I have no doubt that he's going to get to 200 wins, or at least I certainly hope with him coming back that that's something he's able to achieve. And every time Adam Wainwright reaches a milestone like this, I think, good, this is just another line on your resume so that when your name comes up on the Hall of Fame ballot, people have to Mm -hmm. give you a very thorough look. And I hope that he can get to 200 wins because World Series champion, in the Cy Young conversation, really close to winning a couple Cy Youngs, 2,000 strikeouts, 200 wins. 
doing this at this stage in his career, the longevity factor, he's going to give some people some stuff to think about when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. He will be in the conversation if he gets to 200 next year and he can. And uh, Randy, I've been marinating on this, what the Cardinals have been doing as they're absolutely murdering and dominating a lot of their opponents. You know what they've done is they've armied other teams. They've done what Doug Armstrong always preached to the Blues. They have taken the knife into the eye. You need to take the knife and jam it through their eye into their brain and kill them. Thank you, Randy. Are the Cardinals not armying teams? Yeah, they are. They are. One of the all-time great lines, and that's what the Cardinals are doing. That's what they're doing. So the Cardinals will play the Cubs in a doubleheader today. The fast lane actually headed up to Chicago for the weekend, so hopefully they'll be able to bring us four victories. Other notes from yesterday, and we should point this out, Michelle, because this is a fun fact. For those people that said I'd rather not make the playoffs, that we did that last week, that we had about half the people say I'd rather not make the playoffs. Some people called World Series championships a net negative. Net negative. Net negative, yeah. The... Uh, Chicago White Sox, led by Tony LaRusse yesterday, clinched the American League Central Championship. Chicago White Sox started play Michelle in 1901. Let me double check that. I believe they started their play in 1901, which is 120 years ago. Been a minute, yeah. So it, it has been a while. The White Sox, for the first time in their history, so you don't like making the playoffs here in St. Louis, right? You don't make the say it's bad. Yeah, 1901 was the White Sox first year. This is the first time the White Sox have made the playoffs in back-to-back seasons. First time. Yeah, in 120 years. Wow. They were for a long time the second biggest city until about 30 years ago. Now they're the third biggest market. They make a lot of money. They've had a lot of people. The Cardinals have made the back playoffs back-to-back times just since 2000, 2000, 01, 02, 04, 05, 06. Uh, let's see, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, mm-hmm. 19, 20. I'm going to make it in 21. Yeah. And people are complaining about that. They've had 14 straight seasons with a, a winning record, too, yeah. all under John Mozalek. So not only are you winning the season, you're getting into the postseason most times. So, yeah, we are spoiled here. It's After we did that segment or that day where we asked people if they wanted to make the playoffs, and I saw how many people would rather have their team lose than now. It's almost like the Cardinals were listening in on that. They're like, what? You don't want us to make the playoffs? Okay, well, yeah. we're going to give you no choice. We're going to give you – because I wonder how many of those people thought – at that time, I don't want them to make the playoffs because I don't believe that this team is good enough to win a championship. And now they've won 12 in a row, and you're seeing what every every individual person is firing on all cylinders, and you're seeing what these individuals are capable, capable of. I wonder in that two-week span, Randy, how many people have changed their minds, not only on the identity of this team and what they're capable of, but on certain players and their viewpoint on them moving forward. You can text us right now. If you're a Cardinal fan that doesn't want to see this team make the playoffs, lines are open on the text line 65780. We're off and running. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Next up, your peaks and pits of the week. Text line 65780 brought to you by Air Comfort Services and we'll have Peaker Pit next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We might have to go a while to find a pit for this week. Ooh. 
Peak and Pit here on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Michelle, I know you can find a peak, but can you find a pit? I'm seriously searching for a pit. Well, okay, I got one. I got one. I would say my peak is clearly this unbelievable ride wrong Mm -hmm. with the St. Louis Cardinals. How fun has this been? And my pit, Randy, is that our quarterback, Tua Tungavailoa, is dealing with some some fractured ribs, so he's Mm -hmm. out. But we got Jacoby Brissett. Like I said, Tua is out. Our, our fantasy name, Randy, is just the Tua us. No disrespect to Jacoby. We're riding with him. He's our quarterback. But That's my quarterback. Uh, we uh, we have a lot of identity stock in Tua right now, so mm-hmm. I need him to be healthy. That's a good pit. I like that. You know. What about your total peak? Like, is there one or is it just a 12-game winning streak in general? That is such a good question because there's been so many moments over the, I mean, it's, it's, I guess my pit is still, or excuse me, my peak is still a general peak, but it's the manner in which the Cardinals are winning. It's like the little nuances in every game that have allowed them to win, whether it was the unbelievable defensive play, Goldie to Yachty to Arenado, Arenado diving over the tarp, Harrison Bader scoring on a sack fly from second base, Goldie coming in yesterday with, with the home runs to punctuate the day. It's just, it's the little things that this team has been doing that have brought me so much joy. And yes, it's resulted in winning, but it's fun to watch this team play baseball. And mm-hmm. it was not fun earlier in the year. But it's fun now. You're right. My peak is this is the perfect time of year. I've had the opportunity to get out on the golf course a couple of times this weekend. I hate wasting beautiful sunny days, and I've been able to take advantage of them. And my pit is that I'm going to miss you guys next week. I'm going to be on vacation. The only the only positive for vacation is that the alarm doesn't go off because I like coming in with you guys and talking sports. Yeah, it's so fun. It's kind of like being on vacation. So that's that's kind of my my pit is that I'm going to miss you guys, Randy. I hate to put this in, into the universe out there, but if the Cardinals continue to win and then you don't come in, you're disrupting the flow. You're disrupting the rhythm well. and the routine. And I would hate for you to not come in Monday. The Cardinals have won throughout the weekend, and then they, they don't win next week because you're not here. I'm just... But they'll have clinched. Okay. So okay. They'll, they'll be resting. Fair. And Fair. you know what? But you know how I feel about superstition yeah. and routine. Here's and what's going to happen. you're a part of this, Randy. The fast lane's going to go up to Chicago. Yeah. They're going to get drunk. They're going to get arrested. They admitted on no, the air yesterday. they will that not get arrested. They admitted yesterday that somebody's getting arrested. You know why I don't think they'll get arrested? Why? It's why? not because they're not going to get into mischief because that's happening. But think about all of those guys... They're professional talkers. They'll be able to talk their way out of something. That's a good point. You know that BT will make somebody laugh, and, yeah. and then Jamie will come in. He's everybody's buddy. Anthony is Jamie's going to have been reason. in the bar fight. He's a hockey guy. That's the guy they're going to have to talk out. See, I was thinking that it might be Meat, just because you told me that he is, when we ranked the partiers that are going on oh, this trip, time. you said he's up at the top, right? Yeah, yeah. And if he can throw down, that's just, that's where my brain goes, is who's ever at the top of the party list, right. they're more susceptible to getting the yeah. slammer. So my point being that one of the fast slaying guys doing what they do, nefarious things, they'll distract the Cardinals and they'll, the, the fast lane's going to lose the Cardinals game this weekend. Well, here's a tip to the fast lane, all right? If you if you do get in trouble with law enforcement in Chicago, don't tell them that you're Cardinal fans. <laughs> no. <laughs> don't tell them that because I think they might be a little sensitive to this streak in the state mm-hmm. of their team right now, so just <laughs> ignore that. As Dennis Dodd said, Cubs fans, how's the view? <laughs> <laughs> Don't rub it in. All right, Emily, what do you got on the text line? This one's simple. From the 636 peak, Philadelphia Eagles football back. 
Hmm. Did they win this week with with uh, Jalen Hurts? Uh, I thought they got crushed. Didn't they? Maybe he he or she. Well, just that they're playing, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's yeah. They're it, one and one. They, I was gonna say they. De- well, seventeen eleven. Okay. Yeah, Jalen was really good in their first game and not so great, but they lost to the Eagles in their second game, so that's not great. Yeah, uh, Jalen only twelve of twenty three for one ninety, but no interceptions. From the five hundred two, my peak is Goldie getting hot and possibly getting to thirty and a hundred like Nato. Pretty amazing. I wouldn't have thought that was coming, but he's really, really hot. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. So I guess those trades worked out well. Go back five years and think about if you would have thought, okay, somebody would have told you, Michelle, somebody's going to have both Goldschmidt and Arenado on the same team in 2021. This is they tell you this in 2016. Okay. You're thinking maybe the Dodgers, maybe sure. the Yankees. Yeah, of course. Certainly not the Cardinals. No. And here, yet here we are. Yeah. I'll never forget where we were that day. That was the day that we had our company holiday party at Top Golf. Yep. And all of a sudden, all of our phones start going ping, 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 ping. And we're like, what? And I imagine a, a group of people that work in sports, and we're all like, you got to be kidding me. Yep. And I will never forget the excitement that infiltrated Top Golf that day because you really felt like with that acquisition, the Cardinals were opening a pretty significant window to win. That yep. they were signaling, we're going for it. And that's before you had Arenado. That's before a lot of other moves were made. But you just felt like that was the beginning of something that the Cardinals were committing to a chance to win by going out and acquiring, as Bill DeWitt described him that day, the perfect Cardinal. The perfect Cardinal. From the 636, peak realizing on Monday that I'd rather watch the Cardinals instead of my beloved Packers on Monday Night Football. Oh, that's Ooh, when you that's know the Cardinals are rolling. Big time. And the Packers were rolling that night, too. Yeah. So, that's a two-TV night there. From yeah, back and forth. Yeah. Picture in a picture. Remember that back in the yeah. day? Picture hey, in a picture. You want to tell that, uh, that you want to make that person jealous? You can go ahead and do it. What about that, his beloved backers that we chose Aaron Rodgers as our fantasy quarterback not only that oh that we're going next weekend that we're going next weekend we're going to Lambeau Randy and I can't wait yeah, it's gonna be fun do you think Big Ben plays because that's yes, kinda, I do yeah that was a, a big selling oh. point that it was mm-hmm. Steelers Packers at Lambeau Rodgers Big Ben yeah. the last time we'll likely see them there's no way Big Ben will miss a game in at Lambeau his last chance to play that yeah, come on peck injury you're fine from the 585 peak, the 12 games, of course. Pitt, Danny Mac being robbed of being able to call Wayno's 2000th K. I thought about that yesterday. That's a pit. That is a pit yeah. for me, too. And no disrespect to anyone, but that is a moment in Cardinal history that you're going to be playing over and over and on montages. And when Danny Mac gives a call like that, he, he just always is so clearly able to identify the way Cardinals fans feel and his energy and his tone and his cadence and his delivery. And I really would have loved to hear Danny Mac on that call. I would have too. He's the best. Emily, is there any way that we can get uh, the uh, highlight number two and just kind of compare it? If we can get a highlight number two here and kind of compare it to what Danny would have done, the Cardinal highlight number two, Wayno's 2000th. Stand by. Okay, we'll get that. Uh, Because there is no comparison. Danny Mac would have nailed it, obviously. He's the GOAT. And he's essentially broadcast Bueno's entire career. Right. So now you've got just some ne'er-do-well. He understands the meaning of the moment. Yeah. Ne'er-do-well who shows up on social media to do a game. (laughs) And they let this guy do the 2000 strike up for Bueno. Comfortable in his own skin. He says it's cool to say I'm almost, or now 40, says stinking years old and doing this. And that. Welcome to the club. 
2,000 career strikeouts for Adam Wainwright. And he has a seat next to Bob Gibson as the only two pitchers in Cardinals history to punch out 2K. And fittingly, it was Uncle Charlie, the curveball for career strikeout number 2,000. All due respect, it's it's going to kind of be like when Emmett Smith broke the all-time NFL rushing record and it was against those the Seahawks with those hideous uniforms, the monochrome, <laughs> just ugly. It's just not going to compare to what Dan would have provided. Yeah, that was a, a good call. We're not taking away yeah, anything no. from that call, but that's how a national and unemotional call is yeah. for a moment like that. Whereas you know that when Danny Mack and whoever is in the booth with him, whether it's BT, Jimmy, whoever it would be, they know Adam Wainwright and they mm-hmm. know what it means for Adam Wainwright to reach this moment in his career and stand side by side. Only he and Bob Gibson as the only two members of this very storied franchise to be able to to achieve that in a Cardinal uniform, it means a lot. So I would imagine that the call would have had a little bit more enthusiasm. You'd think so. That is Peeker Pitt. Thanks for your texts. We do appreciate it. The Ryder Cup is underway. We're going to talk about that with Jay Delsing, our golfing friend, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Let's go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and one of our favorite guys and one of our highlight segments of the week. I hear so many people say, I love hearing Jay Delsing, and he's with us now. You can hear Jay, of course, Sunday mornings at 9 here on 101 ESPN on Golf with Jay Delsing. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Good morning, guys. That couldn't be better. We have 12 Cardinal wins in a row. We got Blues hockey. We got, and we have the Ryder Cup. My God, what a great weekend of sports. I was going to ask you about your day because we've already got the Ryder Cup on here in the studio. And I have to believe that even as beautiful as this Friday is going to be, that Jay Delsing is going to be taking in the Ryder Cup and then the Cardinal doubleheader. Oh, yeah, definitely. You guys, this opening the tee shot, I hit the first tee shot at the inaugural, such a classic, and I was so nervous. I can't imagine the emotion on the first tee, the first shot for the, you know, the USA at the Ryder Cup. And on U.S. soil, I mean, God, I mean, how does it get better than that? That is an experience. All right, Jay, if you are Steve Stricker, are you tempted to play Bryson, DeChambeau, and Brooks Kepka together? Is that something that you're thinking of, or are you just wanting to uh, – I know it didn't happen, but are you wanting to avoid the drama at all costs? You know what's more important, Michelle, is, is the way that the guys are playing and their their synergy, and I just don't see those two. You know, i got to be honest. I can't stand the venue that the U.S. picked for this Ryder Cup. I love it's beautiful. It's a great fun golf course to play, but it doesn't give us any home field advantage. We don't play that golf course any more than the Euros do. And every time we play on European soil, they're always playing a golf course that they know, you know, 50% better than us. But the Bryson Brooks thing, you know how I felt about that. I didn't get it half the time. I wasn't sure if it was a real thing or if it was just done for that Q rating and for money. And, and I felt like it was more fueled by Kepka than it was by DeChambeau. And I'm not, I, I'm not sold on Kepka and his attitude and everything. I hope he comes out and plays well, but guys, it's, we're going to have our hands full and whoever putts the best is going to win. You know, which is kind of per golf anyway, but 
I, there's a lot to, to to break down with some of our choices and do, who who's playing and a lot of drama in there. Hey Jay, what would have been in your mind a good course to go to? Well, so I would break down the PGA Tour schedule and go to a place where our players play every year. Say like Muirfield Village, where you know where, where uh, Jack Nicklaus's golf course in in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, Some place, Randy, where our tour players play every single year, and they've got dozens and dozens of rounds uh, on the on the course compared to the the Euros. Now, if you pick a place like, and that's not an easy choice, and I and I know there's a ton of money at stake here, right? So that's one of the reasons why they're doing it. If you pick an iconic place like Pebble Beach, it'd be fantastic place to host, but it wouldn't give us one bit of advantage because those guys have played the course as well. When mm-hmm. we played in France and got our asses handed to us, we had one player on the team ever even see the course before we stepped on on property over there. And you know what happened. It was just a disaster. The other thing too, Randy, and you probably know this, but we have massive bombers on our U.S. squad. And as long as um, Whistling Straits is, it doesn't lend itself to the bombers necessarily because a lot, even a lot of these 500-yard par fours, uh, they, they, they have run out. So some of these guys aren't even going to be able to hit driver there. Jay, which of the pairings did you like or would you have changed any of the pairings? Oh, man. Well, I would have. Um, I, I love the, the Justin Thomas um Jordan Spieth coming right out of the chute because you knew that Garcia and Rahm would be their first choice, too. I mean, here you have world number one for the Euros and their all-time point getter in Garcia. Now, Garcia's game, here's the other thing you got to consider, guys. It's how can these guys, how much can they get up for this match and bring their game with them? Because Garcia hasn't been playing very well at all. And when's the last time we've seen Justin Thomas's name on a leaderboard? You know, it's been a minute as well. So I, I know their emotions. I know their heart's going to be in it. But the hard thing about golf is, I mean, my golf game changes from front nine to back nine. You know, these guys, when you compile all these points over a two-plus year period, some of these players could have earned a lot of their points in that first year, year and a half, and the last six months gone kind of quiet. Dustin Johnson hasn't been playing well the last little while either guys so there's a lot of that to be considered but when Stricker and his vice captains are watching this week they're paying attention to practice and there's everybody knows who's playing well and and I gotta believe those are the guys that are you know in in the uh, in these first morning groups and Jay DJ and Morikawa take the lead they're one up through just one hole against Casey and Hovland I, I did look at that one though as a great meshing because DJ obviously like you say he's going to bomb it not that Morikawa can't but Morikawa is going to clean up from everything 200 yards in so you get off the tee with Morikawa as your other guy I, I really like that the meshing of those two guys together Oh, man, Randy, absolutely. I mean, hell, you and I could play with Morikawa and have a good chance. Yeah. I mean, the guy is so damn solid. He hits his, you know, he hits his six iron inside of what most tour players hit their pitching wedges and his dispersion. But, yeah, I love that one kind of jumped um, off the page with me. What I also think is great, you guys, is there's a lot of young uh, younger players playing in this Ryder Cup. You know, Morikawa's a rookie. Uh, Shoffley's a rookie. Uh, Cantley's a rookie. I look 
for Cantlay to really be important in this uh, Ryder Cup for the U.S. He's got this, this steely-eyed kind of kind of poker-faced uh, look, and he's really been playing well, got a good game to back it up. And I want both Michelle and Jay to weigh in here because Shoffley and Cantlay have developed somewhat of a bromance, apparently. And the question is what to call them. Do we call them Shoffley or mm-hmm. Cantelli or Pander or Zandrick? <laughs> I kind of like Zandrick. I think that rolls off the tongue more. I like it. Yeah. I mean, I you guys take us to a different level. I like the bromance, and I like I'll, I'll go with Zandrick for sure. Okay, Zandrick, it is. Zandrick, it is. So Jay, I mean, anytime you can put an X in somebody's name, I mean, you exactly. gotta go with it, right? Great call, Jay. Absolutely, it definitely makes it more of a unique bromance name. Um, so, so, Jay, you uh, shared with us that you didn't really love the choice of venue for the Ryder Cup. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you what I didn't really love: the choice of a motivational pep talk. I saw that Carson Daly was flying to Wisconsin to give Team USA a pep talk, and no disrespect to Carson, but it just doesn't feel like that's the person that we need to rally the troops to go out there and represent our country. Yeah, Michelle, I, I mean, I know met Carson Daly before. He's really a cool dude. He loves golf, but I was like, wow, you know, because I know MJ's been around a lot and you'd think about some of the more modern guys. I know Michael Phelps is a huge golf fan. He'll be all over that that uh, this event this week, but I thought that was curious pick too. What would what would he draw from that's going to be relevant for these guys? I was like, maybe there's something I'm missing, but I couldn't figure it out. There's only one play in this time and at this place. There's only one play, and it's Tiger throwing away the crutches. Oh, oh my God, Randy, I've been telling you this, and I, oh, I, I, really, thought, I really thought he might. Honestly, that would have been unbelievable. Wouldn't everybody get so fired up? Even if he zoomed in to do the pep talk. Or how about it's in Wisconsin. The Bucks just won the NBA championship. We just had the Olympics. So many people going out there representing their country. Simone Biles could have been a good pick. Uh, There's just so many other people that, to your point, Jay, I think could have drawn from something. But when I, I and I saw people on Twitter mocking Carson Daly for this. So, and, and no disrespect to him, I'm glad that he wants to do this job, but I just thought of all people, Carson Daly? I know. I know. And did you see the Euros put the cheese heads on? <laughs> no, uh, that's great. That's great. So, oh yeah, that I mean, these guys, I don't know if you guys have ever looked at some of their uh the advertising that they do for the European tour, but that's really super super clever. And um those guys putting the cheese heads on and walking around in all of their um European uniforms with their cheese heads on was really, really good. It was really good. Guys, when I had Steve Pate on the show a while back, he played in two Ryder Cups. And you have to remember, pre-1991, we'd have these matches, and then both teams would get together and party together afterwards. Hmm. They don't do that anymore. (laughs) It's It's gotten nasty. Jay, you mentioned the team that putts best is going to win, but who do you think is going to win? I think we're gonna. I, I hate to say this. I think we're gonna. We're, we're, I, I want the U.S. to win. I want them to win every single match and 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 shut them out. But um, I just have this feeling, you know, that that the, the course and the guys are, are gonna have a real struggle. I say we're gonna win, but it's really gonna be close. And, and then, I hope I'm wrong. I hope we blast them. <laughs> Me too. Uh, what do we got coming up on the show on Sunday morning? 
Oh my gosh, we have it. It's kind of a lament. We have the the we kind of recap the Ascension Charity Classic in two shows, and last we stopped last week after my first round, and the last two rounds is you know I told everybody to put a helmet on and off we're going to go because we're going to talk about some of the uh, you know I, I've never had the shanks before, and I get them in this the most my favorite tournament that I've ever played in. And so the experience and some of the things that we're going through on my mind, you guys coming down the, the last hole of the event, I've never had this thought before, but I'm looking at the people that I could hit if I don't hit this shot well. And it was just frightening. I was like, ah! <laughs> Oh it man. Was, it was awful. But so, it was, what a great event we had guys. It was, it was tremendous. And it was great to walk with you and see you on, on Saturday. And then on Sunday, I didn't want to bother you. So I was outside the ropes on Sunday and, uh, believe me, it, I felt for you, but the, know this, the worst that you could ever play is the best that I could ever play. <laughs> Randy, it was so cool that you came over. I was like, man, I, I, I don't know. It was just so comforting. I could talk to you and we walked a couple holes together inside the ropes. And I said, make sure you stand behind me because this thing's going on all sorts of directions today. But it was awesome to have you out there. It was, it was just, you know, what's, you know, what's interesting, you guys, I, I, I was doing an interview and I, I, I'm putting stuff in my golf bag and I look down and I've got Ascension tees. I mean, I, I, this idea dawned on me, these guys didn't miss anything from having Lou Fuse as part of the, uh, the car, you know, for, for the, for the guys to drive around for the week to having their own tees. I mean, it was, it was great. It was a special event and I, and I can't wait to get Nick Ragone and Steve Spratt to let us know what the numbers are going to look like because I think it's just going to be a home run for the charities. Jay, have a great weekend. We'll be tuned in on Sunday morning and enjoy the Ryder Cup. Will do, guys. You you do the same. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. That's our buddy Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it with Randy, Michelle, and Emily on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle Edwarder reporting that a source says Deshaun Watson remains committed to forcing his exit from Houston no matter how long that might take. The source close to Watson said, quote, if you're paying him $10 million to sit this year, you don't think he'd take $30 million and sit next year? Take it or leave it. Watson plays another NFL game. Ooh, that's a really good one because you didn't put a timeline on it. I am, that's so, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. I am too. I don't think he'll play another NFL game. I don't either because if he was going to, I think he would have already. Yeah. Because I don't think the outcome of this is going to be favorable for him. And if a team wanted to take a chance on him, they would have done it before there was any sort of uh, legal ramifications to this Deshaun Watson situation. And I think once that plays out, a team is not going to want to take that on. Well, and the league doesn't want those optics. This is a league that blackballed Colin Kaepernick. They have no problem blackballing quarterbacks. And I would think that Deshaun Watson, because of these allegations, is probably in a similar situation that no team, probably from orders from the league, is going to take a chance on him because of the optics of the situation. Yeah, I don't I don't know how you 
justify that to your fan base. No, even if he's cleared of everything, even if he settles all the case in, uh, cases and he's cleared criminally, it's still a really bad, bad look if you have him on your team, especially a quarterback. Okay, Randy, so last night the Carolina Panthers lost Christian McCaffrey to a strained hamstring. Take it or leave it. Of all NFL players with chronic injuries, you wish Christian McCaffrey could stay healthy. Right off the bat, I'm going to take that. Because Carson Wentz constantly dealing with injuries, but Mm -hmm. I'd rather see what a consistently healthy Christian McCaffrey could do. I just feel so badly for him because it's it's it almost seems like Carolina Panthers lose Christian McCaffrey to an injury is an mm-hmm. evergreen tweet because it's just going to happen. Right. And when he's playing, he is so dynamic. The other guy I was thinking of was Odell Beckham Jr. That's a, that's another really good one. But we've seen Odell in New York before. at his best. Yeah, we we probably have not seen even though he had that great year, McCaffrey at his best. Right. Good point. All right, Emily, what do you got from the text line? From the 314, I asked the, I asked this take it or leave it last week, and you both left it, so I'll ask it again. Oh. Take it or leave it. O'Neal, Arenado, and Goldie combined for 100 or more home runs. They're now at 91 combined. Need nine more in 10 games. See, we, we, I apologized for this earlier in the show. Yeah, Randy said my bad, dude. Yeah. We're so taking it. We're taking it, yep. No doubt. From the 618, take it or leave it, Tyler O'Neal wins Silver Slugger. Take a quick look at uh, left field. Say. I think he's got a pretty good chance. Let's pull I, it up. I would say that, uh, well, Adam Duvall is probably going to be considered a left fielder. But otherwise, there isn't an awful lot out there. He's got a good shot. Yeah. I, I would say that he's, Yelich is having such a down year. Uh, Pollock is hurt. Uh, I, I think he's got a really good shot. That's a That's a good call. Take it or leave it, Harrison Bader wins a gold glove. I'm going to take that. Me too. From the 618, take it or leave it, O'Neal, Arenado, and Goldschmidt is the second coming of the MV3. Got it. Take it. Have to right now. Yeah. I mean, really, who's the MVP in the National League right now? Is it Tatis has fallen off? Harper? Are you going with O'Neal or are you going with Goldie? You can make an argument right now for either one. We're just talking right now. I would probably go Goldie simply because he's been doing it since June, June, July, August, September. I'd probably go with him. But I would argue there's no one hotter right now than Tyler O'Neill. No. And his overall numbers because of that hot streak are right there with everybody. From the 314, take it or leave it. If Vlad Guerrero Jr. wins the Triple Crown, he should be the MVP. Mm. Otani. That is generally a thought process that I espouse, but because Otani's doing something we've never seen before. I know. I believe I would have to go with him, even though since the All-Star break, he's only hit 220. It hasn't hit a ton. He had 40 at the break, right? And he's, he hasn't gotten to 50 home runs yet. So so what he's doing is outrageous. It is. And imagine being Vlad Jr. And you're having this unbelievable season, but because there's a player that ha- is doing something that we've never seen before, you're likely going to miss out on mm-hmm. accolades that you do deserve. Yeah. By the way, go- going back to left field silver slugger, the only real, well, the only real competition in the National League is Winker, who's been hurt. He's mm-hmm. only played 110 games, 949 OPS, 24 homers, 71 RBIs. Tyler has 29 and 70 with an 881 OPS. So I would think it would be between those two and the this is interesting because it hasn't happened. The durability of Tyler O'Neill probably works in his favor. Wow. 
From the 618, take it or leave it, the Brewers' struggles continue and the Cardinals end up winning the division. I'm going to leave that. I, I've been talking about the Cardinals only having to play 500 to tie Philadelphia. All Milwaukee needs to do is win two games. Yeah, they'll get those. Yeah, they, their magic number is three. And so if they play, if they go two and seven, the Cardinals would have to go undefeated to tie them. We go 10 and 0. Yeah, we were talking early about, earlier about the Cardinals arming teams, taking the knife, jamming it into their eye and into their brain and killing them. I don't think the Brewers are the walking dead just yet. No, you're right. We'll do one more real quick from the 573, take it or leave it. Tottenham beats Cronkies Arsenal in the North London Derby this Sunday. Got to take it. With uh, with Harry Kane back and playing at a pretty reasonable level. Hotspur, Coys, they'll take care of Cronkies Arsenal jerks. If you're an Arsenal fan, I apologize, but because Cronky owns them, he's a jerk. Yeah, that's a that's a complicated relationship we have with Arsenal fans. Mm-hmm. You're cheering for a team owned by the person that we despise, but you also despise exactly. him. Exactly, it is complicated. So we don't like you because you're support you're giving him money and supporting something he owns, but also we are kindred spirits in the fact that we all don't like him. So it's weird. Yeah. Hey, thanks very much for your texts. We do appreciate them to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Coming up, the Cardinals have won 12 in a row, and players are kind of feeling it. We'll hear from some of them next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex Jewelers. Who likes double headers at Wrigley Field? I do. Oh, yeah, we're waving our hands. Especially when uh, the Cardinals have won 12 in a row and the Cubs are just dismal. They're 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 ba- just a bad team right now. They disassembled. They they wanted a bad team, and that's what they got. So today the Cardinals will play at 120. Jay Happ against Justin Steele, and then tonight it's a 7:05 contest. Jack Flaherty will go for the Cardinals against Zach Davies of the Cubbies, and both games, of course, can be seen on Valley Sports with Danny Mac on the call. And you know that the Cubs would love to play spoiler to this streak that the Cardinals mm-hmm. have. They they would, but are they capable? Is the question. They just aren't very good. I mean, when you've got guys like, uh, well, here's all you need to know, Michelle, is uh, BT was bringing this up yesterday on the air, and I I was shocked. uh, But Keenan Thompson from Saturday Night Live apparently is... uh, is pitching for them now. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I didn't realize it, but uh, he, he said. Oh, yeah, Ke- okay. So here's the real question. Yeah. Is pitching for the Cubs his day job and SNL is the side hustle, or is SNL the day job and pitching for the Cubs is the side Cubs hustle? Cubs is the total side hustle. Right, right. Yeah. Just something he likes to do for fun. Yeah. So so, so he's pitching for them. Yeah, shout out to all that. Yeah. Love Go Keenan. Patrick Wisdom, though. Pat. Patrick Wisdom is... He's the number two favorite to win National League Rookie of the Year. <laughs> Jonathan India is number one, probably will. And the top two favorites in Vegas are Rosarena and Adolis Garcia and you to know, win Rookie of the Year in the American League. And you know what's amazing is that we don't feel badly we about that sentence right now. right now. We don't no. care about Adolis Garcia. We don't care about Patrick Wisdom. Who, Randy who? Randy Rosarena? We forgot about him because the Cardinals have won 12 in a row and their outfield has been a main contributing factor to yeah. that. And we've got our own sluggers. And one of those is Paul Goldschmidt, who hit a couple of homers yesterday. And while the rest of this team was struggling for a long time this season, Goldie kept it going. But how did the rest of the group keep their focus? 
Well, I mean, I think we knew we weren't playing our best baseball for sure. And I just think, you know, we talked about for spring training, just taking it one day at a time. The coaching staff may deserve the most credit for, you know, when things weren't going well, not maybe panicking and trying to make changes. They definitely have stuck with their guys and, you know, had confidence in us and came to the ballpark with, you know, a really positive attitude. You know, that's not always the case. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on a lot of different people, and, and sometimes when you're not getting the results, it's hard to stick by that process. But, you know, I would say that the coaching staff and, and maybe even the front office too, you know, we don't see them as much. You know, they definitely stuck with it. And, and then as a player, you you know, you just keep doing your thing. Um, as a player, it's a little easier because you're just in there and you got to just get ready for your next at bat or the next game or the next play. But I think some of those outside things, you know, it's harder for those guys. And um, a lot of the credit goes to them. So earlier this week, we did a segment called I'm Sorry, Mo, Mm -hmm. where we apologized to John Mose, like maybe for some of the things that we said or or things that we questioned, moves that we questioned uh, over the past year that seemed to be panning out. We might need to do an I'm Sorry, Schilt segment as well, because all of the things that Mike Schilt has been maligned for this season, having confidence in his guys, his relentless positivity, even when things weren't going well, being a very calm manager. A lot of people wanted to see more fire out of Mike Schilt. They wanted him to be more critical of the team when they weren't going well or things weren't going the way that we anticipated they would. But to hear Paul Goldschmidt say part of the reason we're in this position is is because the coaching staff maintained that calmness and their confidence in our abilities and they didn't panic. They stuck to the process and they brought that positivity to the clubhouse and to the ballpark every day. That's what got us into this spot. I think we might need to say we're sorry. To Jeff Albert? I'm... He said the coaching staff. That means everybody, Randy. It's a dagger to the heart of Cardinal Nation, Michelle. Have you not seen this offense explode? 12 games, seven days of 60-cent drinks at Mobile on the Run. I have. I'm just... Pretty impressive. But to hear Paul Goldschmidt say that, there there's a lot going on behind mm-hmm. the scenes that we are not privy to. And Mike Schultz is a very good manager, and he knows how to push the buttons of his guys. And clearly, he understood that maintaining that positivity and not waving the white flag or getting frustrated or getting angry in his team is what allowed them to get to this point. And again, we don't see what happens behind closed doors. Maybe those conversations did get heated at, at points. But whatever they're doing, it's been working. And Paul Goldschmidt just said as much. Goldie, three for five, three RBIs. He scored a couple of runs, had the two home runs, and earned himself a trophy from the TV or from the YouTube broadcast. Uh, that's what they handed me for the interview. I was so uh, I, I don't really know much about you know the YouTube games. That thing was heavy. I don't know if you saw the interview. So I asked if I got to keep the trophy, but they said no. So uh, that's a little disappointing. I I definitely would have, you know, kept it if they were going to let me. Yeah, he doesn't get that. But Michelle, he got something even better from Adam Wainwright. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, our team's feeling it right now. It's just really cool. They picked me up big time today. Goldie had some really good swings. We had some really good at bats before Goldie. And I gave him a big old smooch on the top of his head and don't care who knows it. It was a great team win. I mean, that put us in a hole, and they came back and won that game. Just was really good, really, really good against tough pitching. So it was cool. That was awesome. That was fun to be a part of. You know, he might not be able to take that YouTube trophy home with him, but that smooch from Adam Wayne right on the top of his head, that'll be in his heart forever. He'll feel that forever. Forever. Do you buy that he would have 
he wanted to keep that trophy? Well, yeah. If you earn a trophy of any sort, yeah. you want to keep it. That's kind of how this process works. I get a trophy. I have earned something. I yeah, get to right. take it home. Yeah. What's the deal, YouTube? Are you just going to put his name on some plaque? Yeah, I don't it's, understand. It's not like YouTube's not doing well. They're doing okay. They're making a few bucks. Pretty good. I also loved that he was like, yeah, they handed this thing to me for the interview after the game. It was heavy. I don't really know what it is. But, but I would have kept <laughs> he it. He was clearly so enthused. Does it go he- on the mantle, like with the gold gloves? I don't know. I don't know if you put it on the mantle next to the gold gloves. Maybe in the basement, maybe on top of the TV stand maybe, or something. Maybe in the bathroom, you know? No, you don't want everybody to see it. Why? I, th- I think that's kind of funny. In the guest bathroom, you go in there, you're washing your hands. Oh, this soap, lemon basil, smells delicious. Oh, there's Goldie's <laughs> YouTube award when he was on that one YouTube game in late September. I remember that. So Goldie is hot. Arnato is hot. Tyler O'Neill's really hot. Cardinals play him well and have a doubleheader with the Cubbies today. You'll see the games on FS or on FS, on Bally Sports Midwest. That is today's Fresh Take. Coming up, a lot going on in the National Football League. News and notes coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time for some NFL news and notes. And Michelle, this email coming into my inbox within the last 16 minutes from NFL Communications. The NFL announced this morning that with the beginning of this 2021 season, Super Wild Card Weekend will conclude with a game on Monday night. So Ooh. a Monday night playoff game starting this postseason. How do you feel about that? Well, if the teams that are playing on Monday night, I'm sure they'll play the following Sunday. Depends on where they are. Mm -hmm. I I would think that logistically you can set it up so that it'll be reasonably fair. But the Monday night team won't have as much time to prepare for the following weekend as the team that played on Saturday or Sunday. Also, our consumption habits are trained to just think of it for a weekend, an action-packed weekend. I don't know how I feel about another game on Monday. But January. Yeah, that's right. There's not much yeah. else going on. Yeah, I think it's hockey. Yeah, but we'll. I, I think they'll do very, very well with TV ratings on that Monday night. Well, the NFL typically does. Yeah. <laughs> with any program that they put on, <laughs> including shockingly. <the> pro- <laughs> I'm practicing in case the computer doesn't work. At Go some ahead, point. fire it. Fire. <laughs> that was really good, Randy. That's actually really good. I was going to say, uh, the NFL does well, surprisingly, even with the Pro Bowl. The ratings used to be so high for the Pro Bowl. I'm like, who is watching this? FanDuel Sportsbook, baby. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, a lot of people were watching Thursday Night Football last night as the Panthers ended up beating the Texans 24-9. to They moved to 3-0 and for just the fifth time in their team history. Christian McCaffrey, we spoke uh, earlier in the show, left because of a hamstring. He just cannot seem to stay healthy, no. Randy. It's really a shame because he is such an electric and dynamic player. Um, But Sam Darnold is making a lot of people in New York look pretty bad right now as he's led the Panthers to a 3-0 start to the season. And he says this is just the start of the Panthers coming into their own. You know, for us, we we're kind of we're starting to find our identity um, as an offense. And, you know, I think I just got to, you know, again, whatever play is called, we just got to execute that play. That's my job is to to get us in the right play and and make sure that, you know, we're kind of hitting on all cylinders and that the offense is is moving in the right direction. Michelle, usually 
a young quarterback like Sam Bradford here, he gets broken. And by the time he moves on to the next stop, just physically he's all beat up and he never turns into that quarterback you expect him to turn into. Yes. Sam Darnold didn't have enough time to get broken in New York. He was a first rounder, third pick in the draft in 17, right? 17, 18, 19, played four years. And there were a couple of years where he didn't play every game. They were either frustrated with him or he got injured. Last night, 23 of 34, 304 yards. And he was sacked only three times, which is a low number for him relative to his New York days. A rating of 95.7. They put 24 on the board and they've got something in Sam Darnold. And if you're a Jets fan and you're watching Sam Darnold go out there and look like a a capable and competent quarterback, you're saying, it's us. It's not them. It's not the players. It's us. Mike Sando said yesterday, maybe the Jets are cursed. You think they are? Maybe. The curse of Joe Namath. The The, the the curse of incompetence? The the curse of, I want to kiss you. Oh, yeah, that was a bad line. Uh, But it just seems remarkable that they could be such a hot mess at all times. Regardless of the personnel, regardless of the coaching staff, it's just constant with the Jets. It's terrible. And by the way, it was 18. So he he had three seasons in New York, uh, played 13, 13, and then 12 games. And they didn't have the opportunity to mess him up for his entire career. Congratulations, Sam Darnold, for escaping. Another guy who escaped uh, escaped a different franchise, New England. I guess you could call it escaping. He did have a lot of success there. Was of course Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, who parted ways after 20 years together. And part of the one of the points of contention in the Brady Belichick relationship was his personal trainer, Brady's personal trainer, Alex Guerrero, who did an interesting interview, Randy, with the Boston Herald this week. And he said this about Bill Belichick. He said he never evolved in the way that he treated Tom Brady, and that was a huge factor in Brady's exit in 2020. He says it was like Bill never really, I think his emotions or feelings never evolved with age. As Tom got into his late 30s or early 40s, I think Bill was still trying to treat him like that 20-year-old kid that he drafted. And all the players, I think, realized that Tom was different. He's older, so he should be treated differently. And all the players, none of them would have cared that Brady was treated differently. I think that was such a Bill thing. He never evolved, so you can't treat someone who's in his 40s like their 20s like they're in their 20s it just doesn't work i say this in all seriousness this is and people might think because of the way i feel about belichick it's a joke it's not he talks about belichick's emotions and feelings has bill belichick ever shown you that he has emotions or feelings i don't think that that's part of his dna and i really do think that that's Probably just part of the way he's built is that he does treat every player the same. It doesn't matter how long they've been around or how old they are. If they're still productive for him, he wants them around. And if he doesn't think they can be productive for him, then they're out the door. And it happened with Richard Seymour. It happened when Randy Moss reached the end of his line. It happened when uh, they could have given Joe Thune this year a a deal. Uh, They've had a lot of good players that they've let walk out the door because they decided, okay, we're going to be cold and calculating about this. We're going to allow you to walk. True, but in all walks of life, it's evolve or die, right? You have right. to you have to evolve. And while I completely respect Belichick's mentality of treating every player they're the same as far as mistakes or accountability, holding each player to the same physical requirements is 
not the route that you want to take because every player is built differently and every player requires a different training program and a different maintenance program. And if Tom Brady is still playing at a high level and is coming to you saying, I need to take a different route from a personal training perspective in order to maintain my physique and my flexibility and all of these things. And by the way, you have a pretty big body of evidence that it's working. Why would you go against that? It seems to me like it was more of a control thing mm-hmm. and that if he did want uniformity throughout throughout the locker room in one way or another, if you're ever going to make an, an exception, it's going to be Tom Brady, especially at his age. Here's what Brady had to say about his trainer Guerrero's comments. Everyone has, you know, protective feelings and emotions as friends and family members, and that's just part of um, being in sports, and you have a lot of people who they're not out there, they, they want to protect, and it's a very uh, caring, loving thing that a lot of people do. But, you know, from my standpoint, I just... I had a great time, but really my focus has been on trying to be the best I could be for this team and trying to go out and be a winning quarterback, be a championship-level quarterback for this team and this organization because they certainly deserve it. And, you know, I made a commitment to them, and I want to live up to it. It's called a pivot, and it was exceptional. Yeah, it was pretty good. Spin zone. Yep. Well done. Well done, Brady. But did you expect anything less from him? No, he's got that part down. But I, I would also think, too, that it had to be very frustrating on Brady and Guerrero's part because Tom Brady is having this conversation with Bill Belichick and the Patriots brass saying, I have sacrificed a lot to maintain my body. I have gone to great lengths to try things out and to preserve myself. And I need to do what is feeling good for me. And I need you to be on board with that. And then they kick Guerrero out of the building. Yes. So if I'm Tom Brady, that would have really frustrated me too, because I'm out here eating av- avocado ice cream and not having pizza and beer and doing all of the stretching and living a very restrictive lifestyle in order to maintain my body to perform for you. And you're going to tell me what I'm doing is not allowed or that you don't like it. I would have wanted to walk away too. We all need to emotionally evolve. Correct. <laughs> Well, Lamar Jackson, Randy, he didn't practice yesterday because of an illness. However, the Baltimore Ravens say he's all fine for Sunday's game at Detroit. This marks the fourth straight year in which Lamar has missed one practice because of an illness. Well, he's allowed after a successful Monday night performance to go out and enjoy himself. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe he just... uh, What are we talking, brown bottle flu here? Yeah, possibility. Not, not, Not saying it. We're not not suggesting that well. If, if it's that big of a turnaround in the illness, you'd have to think, mm, He doesn't need to practice. He's 24 fine. 24-hour deal? Yeah, I'm sure that he's fine. But I just think that that's pretty funny. No, no, no. <laughs> he just needs a day. He just needs yeah. one day. We're good. <laughs> All right, it's finally happening. Justin Fields is set for his first start for the Chicago Bears. Andy Dalton not expected to play due to that knee injury. People in Chicago, Randy, are hyped over this. They have been waiting for Justin Fields. I was listening to the morning show on ESPN Driving In, and somebody called in from Chicago and said that the sentiment in Chicago right now is that this will be a successful season, not based on wins or losses at the end of the year, but whether Bears fans really feel like Justin Fields is their guy. If they can think that Chicago finally selected the quarterback who's going to lead them into the future. That will be successful. Here's Jeff Darlington talking about Justin Fields getting the start this week. Man, it is hot news. Um, and and I say that only because in Chicago yesterday, you know, you get this this 
great news that, you know, to Chicago fans that Justin Fields is going to be the starter one minute later. Oh, by the way, let me pour some water on that fun and uh, let you know that Andy Dalton will get the job when he gets back. But I will say, I, I understand from the perspective of at least it doesn't put them in a situation where if, if Fields were to struggle a little bit, and we'll see. By the way, if Fields plays well, he's keeping the job. If he were to struggle a little bit, at least it's not going to be one of those situations where it was like Tua and Fitzpatrick last year with this awkward back and forth. You can fall back on the whole injury thing that you said before, but uh, but it's still hot news, man. Anything with Justin Fields getting the start, whatever comes from that is hot news right now. Uh, Justin, watch out for number 95 and number 90 of Cleveland because you might wind up in the same boat as Andy Dalton, injured, if Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney get to you. Yeah, that's a welcome to your first NFL start, getting sacked by Miles Garrett. Yeah. I'm telling you, that offensive line, I know that the Bears fans love the idea of the quarterback because they've never had one. But if you have a quarterback, you darn well better be able to protect him, and they can't. Their offensive line is horrible. Dear Chicago, listen to us. We've yeah. seen this happen. Yeah. We thought we had the guy, too. We had Sam Bradford. We thought there's no way he doesn't develop into a franchise quarterback. And then he didn't get any protection. Right. So hopefully Justin Fields can run around and knows when to get out of bounds and knows when to get down. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. Those are your NFL news and notes on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Everybody, it's Carriker and Smallman, and it's Friday. It's the Friday edition of The Fight. 8.35, that time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we're welcoming in our friend, the current reigning champion of The Fight. It's John, who beat Randy in the fight yesterday. He's back for his second crack at it. And if he wins today, he's one step closer to the Hall of Fame. Good morning, John. How are you? Good morning, Michelle. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. It's great to be back on. Um, I'm a huge fan of the show. And uh, what an exciting time for our city right now. How about the Cardinals? Absolutely. Can you believe it, John? 12 in a row. Unbelievable. And by the way, we didn't just invite you back because we like you, which we do. You earned this spot back on the show. You beat Randy yesterday. Were you flying high on your victory all day? Of course, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Okay, well, Emily and I are cheering for you. Danny Mac is not with us today because he's got, you know, his other job to do. But you right. know that Danny Mac is pulling for you, too, in spirit. Yes, yes, I appreciate it. All right, John, here we go. Question number one. The Ryder Cup teed off this morning at Wisconsin's Whistling Straits course with the U.S. men's team captained by Steve Stricker, who captained the last U.S. team in 2018 when they played in France. Was it Davis Love III, Tom Watson, or Jim Furyk? Uh, I want to say Jim Furyk. On this day in 2013, former Cardinals pitcher Michael Waka was one out away from a no-hitter against the Nationals when it was broken up by who? Bryce Harper, Ryan Zimmerman, or Ian Desmond? Oh, man, I remember the exact hit. It went right over his head, and it was a right-hander. Let's go Ryan Zimmerman. 
Question number three, John, who has won the most batting championships in Cardinals franchise history? Is it Stan Musial, Rogers Hornsby, or Albert Pujols? Ooh, it's not Albert. Um, let's go Stan the man. And which batter has Adam Wainwright faced the most in his major league career? Is it Anthony Rizzo, Joey Votto, or Ryan Braun? Ooh, that's a pretty good one. Good question, um, Emily. Good question. Thank you. And good options. I, I may have heard this on the YouTube broadcast mm-hmm, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I tuned out for a little bit. Um, you so, tuned out. The Cardinals are rolling. You can't tune out, John. <laughs> yeah, I was in and out. I uh, you know, <laughs> had work. But I understand. Let's go with, oh, man. Let's go with Ryan Braun. Woo! All right. Checking our score. We're waving Randy in. Excellent showing, John. Excellent showing. Just put that in your back pocket for a second. Randy, please say good morning to John. You remember him. He beat you yesterday. Yeah, John. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Hey, morning. Morning, Randy. I'm great. How are you? Good. Good to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you. Are you ready, Mr. Carriker? I'm as ready as I'm going to get. And... We, we need to iron this out right now. So Randy's on vacation on Monday. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. if John wins today, he's one step closer to the Hall of Fame. That means for his Hall of Fame fight, he could potentially take on me or Curbs. I yeah. mean, this would be the easiest path to the Hall of Fame ever. <laughs> just great. saying. Uh, but he's got to beat Randy first, which is no easy feat. So, Randy, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question number one. The Ryder Cup teed off this morning at Wisconsin's Whistling, Whistling Straits course, excuse me, with the U.S. team captained by Steve Stricker. Mm-hmm. Who captained the last U.S. team in 2018 when they played in France? I believe that was Tiger. On this day in 2013, former Cardinals pitcher Michael Walker was one out away from a no-hitter against the Nationals when it was broken up by who? Ryan Zimmerman. Who has won the most batting championships in Cardinals franchise history? Most batting titles in Cardinal history. I'm going to be logical here. I'm going to go Rogers Hornsby. And which batter has Adam Wainwright faced the most in his major league career? This is a really good one. Um, Obviously, I'm sure he's seen Joey Votto a lot. Uh, Let's see. Cards, Cubs, Reds, Pirates, Brewers. I'm thinking Votto or Braun. And because Braun had the suspension and Votto has been pretty darn durable going back to 05, I don't think anybody else has really been to that level. Certainly the Pirate hasn't been around that long. Um, And a Cub hasn't been around that long. I'm going to go with Joey Votto. Did John win today? Is he one step closer to the Hall of Fame, or did Randy exert his dominance and stop him in his tracks? Emily, let him know. The winner and still champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. Sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. 
John, not only did you win, you got all four correct. To Randy's one. To Randy's one. This was a tough fight today. So the last captain of the U.S. team in 2018 during the Ryder Cup when they played in France was Jim Furyk. Okay. The... Uh, excuse me, Michael Walker was one out away from a no-hitter against the Nationals, and it was broken up by Ryan Zimmerman. He beat out an infield grounder, and that was not a no-hitter for Michael Walker. The person who's won the most batting championships in the Cardinals franchise history was Stan Musial with seven, 1943, 1946, 1948, 1950 through 52, and 1957. And the batter that Adam Wainwright has faced the most in his major league career is Ryan Braun. Mm. Ryan Braun. John, congratulations. You're one step closer to the Hall of Fame, and we will talk to you again on Monday. Wow, thanks thanks so much, guys. I've had a blast playing and uh, looking to go into the weekend on a little winning streak myself, like our Cardinals. That's right. There you go. Good going, John. John <laughs> thanks a lot, Randy. Have a great weekend. That is John on 101 ESPN. Randy, are you yeah. going to be upset if I lose on Monday because you know that I'm not good at this? No, I'm not going to be upset. I, Hall of Famers are good. Okay. I don't want to have to give John an asterisk because he beat me because we know that I don't know trivia like you do. No, it, Defend the crown. You, you are, are deserving, though, of at least having lifelines, though. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Of course I yeah. get the lifelines. So, no doubt. Okay. Coming up next, Mizzou and Boston College tomorrow in Chestnut Hill. It's an 11 o'clock start on ESPN2. And we had a chance to talk to Mizzou wide receiver Kiki Chisholm earlier in the week, and we'll hear that interview next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman. Missouri has a week four date with Boston College at 11 o'clock a.m. game in Chestnut Hill. And we welcome to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, Kiki Chisholm, Mizzou wide receiver. Uh, Kiki, great to have you with us. How's everything going? It's going pretty good, man. I'm excited. It's exciting to go to Boston College. Not a typical Angelo State or typical Mizzou or SEC trip. Not many SEC teams make their way up to the Northeast. It's got to be pretty exciting. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely going to be a nice environment uh, going up there for the first time. So I'm excited to, to get up there and, and hopefully put on a show. And I know in talking to Coach Drinkwitz, you guys, uh, you concentrate on what you do well. You concentrate on what the Tigers do well. Uh, how much, though, when you get, get into a game against an ACC opponent, for example, how much scouting do you guys do? I mean, we do a lot. I mean, this game is, is really important for us, especially uh, with it being a road game. Um, I know last year we didn't play particularly well on the road, and then you look at the Kentucky game on the road. So, I mean, it's a huge em- emphasis for us this week to, to go out on the road and, and go up against a tough opponent and come out of there with a win. Kiki, what do you think you have to do differently on the road to succeed? Um, I mean, it comes down to, to executing under pressure. I mean, First and foremost, you got to be able to be able to run the ball and control the line of scrimmage. You know, when you're running the ball effectively, uh, you keep yourself uh, in pretty manageable third down situations, which makes it easier to convert. And just doing those things to to limit the crowd noise as much as possible and and keep keep them out of the game um, is going to be huge for us. Another thing is is starting fast uh, in the first quarter, being able to 
to put up points early to kind of shift the pressure from us to put it on them um, are two things that are going to be critical for us to, to win this game on the road. And your run game has been really good. I know that even Tyler Beatty wondered whether or not he'd be able to handle the workload with the departure of Roundtree. But in your wins against Central Michigan and then last week when you put up the 59 on SEMO, uh, man, he's been terrific, hasn't he? Yeah, he, he's an electrifying back. I mean, he's one of those players that every time you put the ball in his hands, he's a threat to score. So, I mean, uh, he, he's going to be huge for us again this week. Uh, being able to establish a run just makes it easier to, to throw the football. So, I mean, uh, you got to be able to play complementary football with the run and pass game. And so we're, we're looking forward to being as balanced as possible to, to get this win. Mizzou wide receiver Kiki Chisholm with us on 101 ESPN. And Kiki, it had to be cool last week, and it, it really doesn't matter who the opponent is, but to put up 38 points and perform the way you did in the first half had to be really heartening for your offense. Absolutely. I mean, no matter who we're playing, I mean, our job is to go out there and execute. So, I mean, I feel like we did some really good things in the first half, executing, being able to uh, to sustain drives and have a bunch of explosive plays. And I think that just uh, – that just feeds the entire offense with confidence uh, to be able to go out go out there and do that. Um, and I feel like it gave us great momentum uh, going into this week as well that we're trying to, uh, to keep going and keep carrying forward. When Eli Drinkwitz came to Mizzou and when you came to Mizzou, you guys had the same first year together. Uh, you're obviously a big wide receiver that has NFL ability. He's a passing game guru. Uh, when, when you guys came, we knew that you were passing game guys. But how does this passing game feel now? Two years in, you had an offseason, you've had a training camp, you've had three games. How, how does this passing game feel to Kiki Chisholm? Um, I think it's it's one of those things. I mean, with, with the experience um, of year two, um, we've just learned a lot more about each other. I mean, th- things that, that we do well, and I feel like they do a, a great job of putting me in, in situations to succeed. Um, not only just just for myself, but also putting putting other guys around me in positions to succeed uh, with some of our younger guys and, and veteran guys that we have uh, around in this in this second year of the offense as well. I think it's been critical for us. Um, you look at like you said, it's, it's my year two, it's Coach Drink's year two, um, it's Connor Basilak's year two. So I mean, I think we've all done a great job of of taking a step forward with each other and building building that relationship and that trust that we can have on the field to be successful. And Kiki, those of us that haven't played receiver or quarterback, I think sometimes have trouble realizing how difficult it is to develop develop chemistry between a quarterback and a wide receiver. Can you tell us how that evolved for you and Cotter Bazelak? Yeah, I mean, it just it just speaks to all, all the time that we put in in the summer. I mean, thousands and thousands of reps of, of just running routes and, and getting timing and um, trying to trying to build that relationship to where we're we're always on the same page with each other. To where now I feel like when I run a route and he's dropping back to pass based on the coverage, we're always on the same page. And like I come out of my route, I know exactly what he's thinking and where he wants me. And when we're on the same page like that, it, it's tough to stop. So I mean that's that's good to see all that work that we put in the summer. Uh, coming, coming to fulfillment, and he can put the ball on you too. He, even though he, I think last year had seven touchdown passes, he's eclipsed that already this year. He's a really accurate passer, isn't he? Yeah, he's really accurate and he's really confident, and he's he's doing a great job of uh, of trusting us to to make plays for him. 
And so I think those two things go hand in hand. And he's he's a he's a great quarterback, great leader, and uh, someone that's going to continue to get better each and every week. Kiki, we see Coach Drinkwitz in the press conference situation or talk to him in a, in a media situation. And I'm sure what we see from the coach for us is different than what you see as a player. From your perspective, what's your favorite thing about playing for Eli Drinkwitz? I mean, he's he's just a he's he's a guy that you know what I'm saying you you'll go out there and lay it all on the line for because you know that he'll do the same for you. I mean, he's he's a guy he doesn't think that he he's above the game in a sense. I mean, he he's in tune with his players. He listens to us. He wants to know like what we're thinking on the field and some of the things that we're seeing to to help him uh, be able to put us in succession uh, situations to be successful. And I think that's huge for us. And I think that's a that's a a great reason why we're been able to be so explosive on offense so far this season. He's a young guy, only in his thirties. Do you sense Kiki that he's got a, a different, a more advanced offensive mind? Absolutely. I mean, I think his one of his offensive mind, his offensive mind is is one of the top in the country. I mean, he's always uh, trying to find ways to be innovative and be creative and put us in, in situations to where we can have one-on-one matchups and, and be successful. Um, he does a great job of, of utilizing his players um, and what they're good at to make sure that, that the offense is flowing and, and everybody is feeling involved. I know you aspire to be an NFL player, and you've got the size, you've got the speed, you've got all the tools to be a really good NFL wide receiver. How do you feel about how this program is setting you up to do that? Um, I think it's it's doing a great job, just just the way it's ran. I mean, it's it's a professional professional organization here. I mean, from from the coaching staff to the strength and conditioning staff. I mean, just everything, um, the way they teach and the the culture around here. It's it's a professional culture and standard, and I feel like that's that's been great for me to prepare myself for when I get ready. Uh, to enter the NFL after this season. And for those that aren't aware, you were a grad you are a grad student. You transferred from from Angelo State. Before we get to what you're doing now, what was your major? So I got my bachelor's degree in in finance before I transferred. Okay, and now you're working as a graduate student. What are you doing the, the, during this football season? Academically. Uh, working to, working towards my master's in education. Um it's uh hired higher education and leadership. So with that, it's kind of sort of administrative uh, work and things like that. Because after after football, I want to trans uh, kind of like shift my focus into like more of a uh, business aspect. I want to start my own like mentorship program and things things of that nature. That's great to hear. What prompted you to become interested in that? Um, just just a a lot of things really, just from how I grew up and just knowing that I. Being in a being in a position to be a professional athlete gives me uh, a platform that I can use to give back and help people. So I mean, I feel like as I've gotten older, aside from football, my number one purpose in life is just just to give back um, and be be someone that people can look up to 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 see that hey, if he made it out and was able to do great things, it's possible for me too. So I mean, I just want to instill that confidence into into the next generation as much as I can. And Kiki, it's amazing. I'm sure even as a Mizzou player in Columbia, if a, a kid sees you and especially sees you wearing that number six jersey, it has an effect. That that platform is pretty amazing, isn't it? It is. Uh, with that with that platform, I know uh, comes a huge, huge amount of responsibility. So I know that 
no matter what, no matter where I'm at, whether I see it or not, I know that somebody's always watching me. So I always want to uh, try to live and be a great example for them. That's awesome. As much as possible. That's that's very cool. A couple more quick things for Kiki Chisholm. First of all, you guys have played three games, and it doesn't feel to me, Kiki, like you guys are going to be at the quarter pole of the season when you play BC. Is that amazing to you that after that game you'll have played 25% of your season? Yeah. I mean, we it's crazy because we just talked about it in the team meeting the other day, like how fast this thing is going. I mean, you look up and it's going to be week eight. So, I mean, it's, it's important to go out there each Saturday to, to take advantage of every opportunity because, I mean, you're not going to get them back. So, I mean, each and every Saturday when we step out on the field, it has to be a huge focus to, to make every moment count. Um and to not take any play or any game for granted. And you played last year against the cream of the crop in the SEC, which is obviously the cream of the crop in the nation. As you look around in practice and participate in practice, how good do you think this Mizzou team this year can be? Um, I think the sky's the limit for us. I mean, if you look at what we have offensively and the pieces that we have defensively and that coaching staff, I mean, I feel like we can go out there each Saturday and, and compete. I mean, talent talent isn't isn't going to be the separator. Um, any Saturday that we go out there, we're going to be just as talented um, with whoever we play. I mean, so it really just comes down to the details and and to men- the mental aspects of the game, and it's going to come down to to who can execute and who's a more physical team because. Each Saturday, especially in this conference, the most physical team always wins. Kiki, we're looking forward to the game against Boston College. We appreciate your time, continued success with the Tigers, and then with the graduate degree, and we hope to be watching you on Sundays soon uh, in your football career. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Kiki Chisholm, he and the Tigers on ESPN2 tomorrow morning, 11 o'clock from Boston College. Michelle, Randy, great to have you with us. Coming up, today's big thing, the Cardinals have won a dozen, cousin. Can they keep it going against Chicago? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Nine oh one in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker with you, and the Cardinals with a dramatic eight five win over the Brewers yesterday. After being down five nothing, they came back to win their twelfth in a row, and the Cardinal offense has turned it around. Obviously, a lot of good players are finally stepping up to the plate and getting hits, which is really important. Adam Wainwright fell behind early yesterday. What has he seen from the Cardinal offense that leads him to believe they can bounce back like they did? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways that we're beating people right now. Just, uh, our base running is really good. I mean, they talked about it on the telecast today, just Tommy Edmond and and Goldie and, and, and uh, Oni and um, so many of our other guys, Dylan, that those guys are just real good going first to third. They're good at stretching those singles to doubles and doubles to triples. They're they're really aggressive out there. They got some stolen bases on our teams. The fast, probably the fastest team I've been on. Total speed uh, in in our career. Certainly, I think it's the best defense I've ever had back there behind me. Also, so that I mean, you know, a lot of times you win with those that offense, like you talked about, with driving a big home run. Oni's had some real big home runs for home runs for us during this stretch. Goldie's had some real big home runs for us during the stretch. Nolan's had some real big home runs for us in the stretch. But, you know, sometimes it's that defense that wins games too. And, and uh, our pitching's been pretty good, except for the, the starter who laid an egg today. And then um, bullpen's been outstanding. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of winning, a lot of winning 
curriculums there or or uh, or formulas there to come up with a winning curriculum. I mean, it's just uh, it's really fun to see a winning curriculum. Is that kind of like a high-level curriculum? I would think it is. A high-level curriculum is a winning curriculum? Yeah. And Either you, way. You talk about the big hits, Michelle, that Tyler O'Neill has been able to get. So far in September, we have a week left in September. He's hit 305 with a 370 on Ooh. base, 659 slug, 1.028 OPS for Tyler O'Neill. He's hit eight home runs and driven in 20 in the month. Incredible. That's why he was the National League Player of the Week last week. But I would argue Adam Wainwright has been your season MVP. But right now, Tyler O'Neill, I think, is the MVP of this team. It's he and Goldie likely tied for first. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to leave Arenado out of that equation as well. But Tyler O'Neill coming on has really changed the complexity of this offense. And Matt Holiday joined the fast lane and talked about what he's seen from Tyler O'Neill. You know, I, I think he's... Uh... He's, he's such a dynamic player, and, and when you talk about his speed, uh, his ability to do some things in the outfield and make some plays, and and, uh, and, and yeah, I think the the one thing for me that stands out is, is he's he's getting hits and not just you know kind of a one trick pony. Uh, he's he's doing a he's doing a great job of, of driving runs in. He's hitting hanging breaking balls really well, so he's staying on the ball a lot better this year. And and uh, you got to got to give him credit for for continuing to get better and 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 we all i think we all knew that there was a ton of talent uh even when they traded you know traded for him i think everyone knew that the power and and the potential was there but uh he's really coming into his own and uh and i think he's he's somebody that they can start to uh build around in the future as a young player that's a cornerstone type player michelle this is not a small sample size this season and he's done basically the first thing before and after the all-star break He's got 499 plate appearances, batting average 279, OPS of 881, 29 homers and 70 RBIs. Do you believe what you're seeing from Tyler O'Neill is real? I do. I do believe it. And this is what we always thought that he might be capable of. He's dealt with some injuries and there had been a lack in consistency there. But it seems like he's been healthy for a stretch and he's really been able to showcase what he's capable of. And what Matt Holliday just said there about Tyler O'Neill being a player that you can build around. Think about that for a second. Dylan Carlson was that guy that we had talked about heading into this season that John Mosellac said, you're going to have to pry him out of my cold, dead hands because, yes, he's young, but he was something that they someone that they forecast to be a cornerstone of this team. And knowing that Dylan Carlson is, in fact, coming into his own, and now Tyler O'Neill is a guy who has won a gold glove, who's showing you that he's capable of that power and that consistent offensive production. Again, as Matt Holiday mentioned, the speed that he has. If you think about not only the veteran presences that you have on this team, Goldie, Arenado, etc., and now you're really confident in some of your younger players like Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill, the Cardinals have to feel pretty confident that they're in a good spot for the future. No doubt about it. And here he is as your number three hitter. And I just want to go back to the consistency I was talking about. Tyler O'Neill, first half plate appearances, 252, second half, 247. So five more plate appearances in the first half. First half home runs, 15, second half, 14. First half batting average, 275, second half batting average, 282. Now, the on-base has really gone up. First half on-base, 333, second half on-base, 364. 
first base, uh, first half slug, 546, second half slug, 519. But his OPS is 879 in the first half, 883, virtually identical between the first mm. and second half. So he's essentially been the same player in both halves of the season. That's remarkable consistency for a guy who hasn't had the opportunity as you mentioned, to be consistent because he's been hurt so much during his career. I'm like you. I'm buying into what he is. Isn't that a good feeling? It is. How long have we been talking about this outfield carousel? And Mm -hmm. if the Cardinals held on to the right guys or if they parted ways with the Randy Rosarenas of the world and they were always going to regret it. I mean, we've been talking about this outfield carousel since Oscar Tavares passed away. Right. And it feels like for the first time in a very long time, and yes, it's recency bias when a team is coming off a 12-game win streak, but the numbers that you just outlined showcase how consistent Tyler O'Neill has been. I just really think this is the first time in a long time that you feel like the carousel has stopped and you can feel really confident in the Cardinals outfield. We had a segment during the All-Star break about what we would like to see in the second half. And one of the things that I said I'd like to see is durability, knock on wood, oh, from O'Neal yeah. and Bader. I'm knocking too. I-, I wanted those guys to be able to show me what they could do over the course of three months. And here we're going to have August, sep- uh, Jul- the end of July, August, September, and they did play the first half of July. And those guys have been out there every day. They've, they've answered the bell. And that's so important, too, because one of the reasons that the outfield was inconsistent in the first half is because we were seeing Carlson in center, who's not near the center fielder that Bader is. We were seeing Justin Williams try to play right field. All due respect, he just wasn't the hitter that these guys are. And They've given Austin Dean his opportunities. We had to see a lot of Edmund in the outfield Mm -hmm. during that first half. It makes a difference when your guys answer the bell because they're your starters for a reason. This team is so much better just because Harrison Bader is playing in center field. He's He's covering the ground out there. It's a different feel for me when he's out there as opposed to anybody else. Couldn't agree more. Another thing I think we talked about during that conversation that we wanted to see from this team in the second half was for the pitchers to start throwing strikes. And we've seen that. But Adam Wainwright just said in the clip that we played that this might be the best defense that he's ever had behind him. And I think that what is what was so frustrating for so many people is they're like, attack these hitters because let the defense behind you do your thing. Let them protect you. They're capable of it. And I, I I just can't believe that so many things that we had on our list of things that we wanted to see out of this Cardinals team in the second half have come to fruition and come to fruition dramatically. And you think about that defense, the 2006 defense. You had a gold glover in Albert at first. You had Scott Rowland, a gold glover, one of the best ever at third base. You had Eckstein, who was pretty darn good at, uh, at shortstop. Your second base situation was fluctuating, but you wound up with uh, Belliard, Ronnie Belliard, who's a pretty good defensive player. Yachty in his prime, Jimmy Edmonds in, in yeah. his prime in center field. That was a pretty darn good defense that he played with in 2006. So that's a major statement for Adam to, to make that this defense would be better than the 06 defense. Absolutely. Okay, so Randy, the, um, the Cardinals franchise record for consecutive games one in a row is 14. Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals not only meet that record, but they they break it. They get to 15. I'm going to leave it. I don't think they sweep a doubleheader today. Okay. Hard to sweep a doubleheader, although it's hard to sweep the Brewers in Milwaukee, too. Yes, correct. And they have won 12 in a row. But I think this 
this will wind up being, and David Ross will make sure it is, this is going to be the Cubs World Series. And winning a game today will, for them, be equivalent to winning the World Series. I want- it's most years. Right. I wonder about that second game, too, with Jack Flaherty getting the ball. Mm-hmm. We don't really know what to expect out of him. That's uh, an unknown factor heading into this game. And you're right. It's always hard to sweep a doubleheader. But I don't know. The Cubs are not very good. And the Cardinals, they just swept the Brewers, Randy. We I don't know. think that they can handle the Cubs. Well, just don't fall behind 5 nothing. Why? Doesn't seem to be a problem for them. (laughs) It should be fun. Speaking of fun, how about BK and Ferrario at the 35th annual St. Charles Oktoberfest from 4 to 6 today? Beer, beer, and beer all weekend long. Those guys love their beer. BK and Ferrario, they come in here hungover pretty much every day. (laughs) And uh, with music and dancing and bratwurst and eating contests, bratwurst eating contests, an antique car show and more, located in historic downtown St. Charles and Frontier Park. Join in on the fun today with BK and Ferrario at St. Charles Oktoberfest. Get all the details at 101ESPN.com. You, you don't see that? Every day? No, I don't. I see them totally clear-headed and ready to spew out some facts and some takes. They hide it well. <laughs> Do they? Hiding under their desk? Yeah. You had me at beer, though. That sounds like an awesome time. It says beer, beer. Yeah, you, need, you could just stop there. I don't even beer. need the other beers. Yeah, three, three beers. Oktoberfest. Beautiful weather. EK and Ferrari are going to be there. Oktoberfest in St. Charles is awesome. Yes. It's great. Yes. We are a beer town. Yeah. With Other than Germany, I bet we have the best Oktoberfest in the world. Is it a beer town with a baseball problem? Is that what the t-shirts say? I think right now it's a baseball town with a beer problem. Yeah. It is. Talk, talk to us in June. It was a different story. But I think right now this is a baseball town with a beer problem. It sure is. That's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Blues started training camp yesterday, and Vladimir Tarasenko had a chance to visit with the media. Always a cordial get-together when Vladdy and the media are together. We'll bring you his comments next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Your St. Louis Blues started practice yesterday. Training camp is underway. And tomorrow, Michelle, today is Friday. Tomorrow, the Blues have a preseason game. Training camp yesterday, preseason game tomorrow. I love that. That snuck up on us quickly, didn't it? Yes, it did. And you will hear the action tomorrow with a pregame at 6 against the Minnesota Wild here on 101 ESPN. I cannot wait to see this team in action. I am really looking forward to seeing Brandon Saad and Pavel Buchnevich in action. I'm interested to see what Colton Pareko looks Mm -hmm. like, a healthy Colton Pareko back. I want to see how quickly this team can gel and what sort of chemistry they can develop early because that was something that we talked about a lot last year with the Blues. And getting out yesterday, there's this new up-and-comer with a really high number, number 91. I don't know if... I've heard of him. Usually you you give those high number guys. They they aren't probably going to make the team. But this number 91 guy... They did give him a press conference, and uh, Vladimir Tarasenko was asked what his mindset is heading into this training camp. Everything good, you know, my mindset is good. Able to be with the guys, you know, I have a good relationships with the guys. Uh, it's been a weird summer, but um, it's going to stay between us and uh, between me and Doug. And um, I mean, I'm here to work. As long as I play here, I will work for 100%. I'm 100% healthy and, you know, come from here. Glad he's 100% healthy. 
And he's committed and 100% effort into the team as long as he's playing for them. And says that despite what happened during the summer, he really doesn't want to be a distraction. It's all behind. I don't see the reason to discuss it now. It's camp starts, you know. Uh, I don't want to be a distraction in the room. And uh, like I said, I'm here to work. And I'm healthy. I'm happy to play hockey again. Now, one thing, Michelle, is that, uh, and I'm glad he's healthy, glad, glad he wants to play hockey again. Did you think that during the course of the summer that he was attacked by anybody, whether, whether it be here on 101 ESPN or in print? I, it seems to me, and I might have missed something here, but it seems like most of what I read, and Jeremy Rutherford covered the story perfectly, I thought, mm-hmm. in The Athletic, but most of what was said was more anti-blues I, I didn't read any real anti-Vladdy stuff or hear about anti-Vladdy stuff. We've always said when he's healthy, he's a really good player. The only negative I have about him is that he's only played 34 games in the last two years. Yeah, I think that probably the the most negative leaning thing is that a lot of people discussing this situation, and this is based in fact, is that Vladimir Tarasenko has not been healthy lately, and he is a pricey player. And I think the main question was, what sort of a team would have the the space and the guts to absorb a player like Vladimir Tarasenko, who has such a an injury history? And that was not us knocking his skill set. It's just simply looking at the, his lack of availability over the past few seasons because of those shoulder problems and wondering if he was a desirable option for a team because when healthy, we know what a weapon he is. But if you're the player and, and you're hearing all of these people doubt your health and doubt your ability to succeed on the ice, that could be taken as an attack if you're the player. We're looking at this from an external standpoint and us discussing those things is rational. But if I'm the player, I'm I'm looking at when I have been healthy and my body of work and saying, why are you doubting me? And maybe there's a little bit of a, a Wainwright Brady, Jordan type chip, not that big of a chip, but maybe a chip on Vladdy's shoulder. I have a lot of pride in my name and, uh, you know, um, we have a sports family and uh, at first I will play for a team and play for, you know, my name. I received a lot of uh, support, but also received a lot of bad messages and bad, you know, articles. So uh, I have a big motivation to prove it wrong. And this is it. Big motivation to prove him wrong. But if you're a Blues fan or you're a member of the Blues organization, the front office, or you're a team that's interested in potentially picking up the phone and calling Doug Armstrong about Vladimir Tarasenko, did he not just reiterate everything that you wanted to hear? He said several times, I am healthy. He said, I am motivated. He said, whatever team I'm playing for, I'm 100% committed, which is why I came early. He said, I don't want to be a distraction to the team. I've talked to the boys. I've talked to Doug. This is internal. Every single thing that you wanted to hear from him, if you are the Blues, the Blues fan base, or a perspective buyer of Vladimir Tarasenko, he hit them all in the head. Mm -hmm. Now, Craig Berube is the guy that's in charge of this situation on the ice and he was asked whether or not we talk about Vladdy being committed, whether or not he has to get Vladdy to buy in again. No, I don't believe it's an issue at all. I mean, like I said, he like <laughs> if he wasn't bought in, I don't think he'd have been here a month thirty skating with the guys and working out with the guys and being around. Um, he's obviously bought in. He's part of this team. He's been part of this team his whole career, uh, NHL career. So, you know, I don't I don't see a buy-in problem. And Doug Armstrong has been quite open about this, that 
they'll try to do right by Tarasenko if he badly wants out of here. But Tarasenko is going to have to prove that he is a healthy, productive player again for somebody to take on that $7.5 million salary. And that team might be out there. I don't know if that team exists right now. Maybe it is the Rangers. They've still got some cap space. But if I were in the shoes or the skates of any of the other 31 teams or the 15 or so that might have cap space and the the very few that would have an interest in taking on that $7.5 million, I would want him to prove that he is 100% healthy, that he can take a hit. And I also want him to prove, like he said, that he's bought in and ready to go and ready to give 100%. Yeah, the pathway to divorce can be carved here. If Vladdy is, in fact, healthy, he's going to go out and prove it. Is If he is, in fact, motivated to prove everybody wrong, we're going to see that in his intensity and his style of play. If he is, in fact, the same player that he always was now that that shoulder's finally corrected, we're going to see that. And it's a win-win for both sides. Did they want to get to this point? No. That's been well documented. Well documented. Both teams, both parties wanted to move on from one another. But now that they're here, Vladdy's committed to being here. And if he really wants out, all he's got to do is prove that Everything he's claimed about himself is, in fact, true. And if you're Doug Armstrong and you're giving him this platform to showcase himself to all of the other teams in the league and he's playing great, not only is that beneficial for you on the ice, but you're probably going to get the deal that you want. And Doug Armstrong is much less emotional than we are in making decisions like this. But I got to tell you, Michelle, if he's here for the start of the regular season and he has five goals in the first three games, I'm thinking twice about moving him, even though I told him I would move him if I could find a taker if he was healthy. I still might do it because I don't know how long that that run might last of production. I don't know. And if you know that in his heart of hearts, he doesn't really want to mm-hmm. be here, I would go ahead and do it. And if that's the deal that they did make, if you go out and prove yourself, I will move you. That's the big thing. That's the big. There has to be that mutual trust right. there. For the rest of the players in the league, they have to know that if Doug Armstrong tells you something, that he's a man of his word. And right. He has been throughout the course of his GM career. I want to circle back to the question that you posed about the coverage that Vladdy was getting, if there was mm-hmm. any negative articles. We're getting a lot of text on this, but I want to read this one from the 314. There was a lot of conversations about Vladdy whining when he didn't become the captain. It was brought up that he wasn't a leader and didn't always face the media. True or not, he would perceive this as an attack. And when that article came out or that report came out that, said it here. that Vladimir Tarasenko was upset that he wasn't the captain, I believe our first response was to be the captain, the most important quality that you need to have is availability. Mm -hmm. You have to face the media after every game and Vladdy was not available. He was injured a lot. So if you're trying to assign the captaincy to someone, it needs to be a player that you know is going to be there consistently, not only to lead the team, but to do all of the off-ice duties that are required of the captain, including meeting with the media after every game. Right. And he is not a guy that even when he was healthy, was a guy that would show up to do those duties or showed any desire to perform those duties when he wasn't the captain. Colton Pareko is always available. He's Braden Shen is always available. And some you don't have to be a captain to be available and amenable with the media, but those guys are because they're willing to tell you, good or bad, what's going on. And the other part of being a captain is that you are the leader of the team. And players, mostly players that aren't here anymore, would tell me, and I tell every media person off the record, 
hey, he's not a guy that has a lot of people that are willing to follow him on the team. It, it was clear. It was clear to everybody. You didn't even need to be in the dressing room. You didn't need to be around the team. Just watch the games on TV. And you know that Ryan O'Reilly was the leader of this team, right? When Petro sure. left, that he was going to be the captain. And behind the scenes, anytime that we would go out to Centene or have, have a day where a lot of players weren't skating or it might have been an off day, it was the all-star break for crying out loud that we were there one time. And Ryan O'Reilly was always there putting in the work. Sometimes there would be teammates with him. Sometimes he would be by himself. And a lot of times leaders lead by example. Mm -hmm. And Ryan O'Reilly certainly was one of those guys that he was putting in the work all the time and challenging his team to be the best that they can be. And I would hope that this whole episode has given Vladdy the desire and the time to do some self-reflection and ask himself, how can I be a better leader in this dressing room? How can I ascend to being what a captain is? How can I be better for my teammates on a daily basis? Not just when I score a hat trick, Mm -hmm. but how can I help this team win every single, not just the team, but the organization? How can I get everybody in this organization pulling the rope in the same direction so that we can win another Stanley Cup? I wonder if there's that self-evaluation, not only on the product on the ice, but throughout all of this, because he did say, I'm going to talk. I've spoken to my teammates this is between Doug and I, mm-hmm. um, which was just funny to hear him call him Doug. You know, you yeah. always just expect army. But I wonder if they really did air it out and they did have those conversations or if it was just a, hey, Vladdy, welcome back. Good to see you, bud. Let's get out there and skate. I wonder if there was any difficult conversations and any truth telling, because that's the only way you're ever going to really be able to move forward is by airing everything out. If not, that stuff festers over time. This is perhaps completely apples and oranges, but it it strikes me. So I'll, I'll present it to you. I've told you the story before about how when Trent Green was signed by the St. Louis Rams, he was in the weight room the day after he signed as a free agent, taking a leadership role on that team. And when I talk about getting the organization to pull in the same direction, Trent Green would go to every administrative assistant on a daily basis and talk to people, everybody in the organization, whether it was the receptionist, whether it was the strength coaches, the equipment guys, Jay Zygmunt and John Shaw's assistants, he made sure that he was showing his face to everybody and everybody knew who he was. He continued to do that even when he was hurt. And his, and then he came back and played, showed himself to be healthy, mm-hmm. told the Rams, look, I want to play more. And they were more than happy to accede to his wishes because he had been such a great soldier for them, such a great leader of the organization. And I would hope that Vladdy would do the same thing. And I mean the exact same thing by going into that building and saying hi to everybody and becoming friends and trying to get everybody in that organization to pull the rope in the same direction so that they can win. Being a leader is not just being in the locker room and going out on the ice. Being a leader of an organization is doing all of those little things, and Ryan O'Reilly does the same thing, that get everybody in the the organization, like Dick Vermeil would tell us, feeling like they were a part of it. True. And I think a lot of times, if you are the player, you think the best player should be the captain. And if I'm Vladimir Tarasenko, and I had been with the Blues for this long and been one of their Mm -hmm. best players, I could... I could understand why he might think that that designation should be reserved for him. 
But to your point, there's far more that goes into it than just being no. the best player. You just got to read the room. And maybe the best captain the Blues ever had was Brian Sutter, the longest serving captain they ever had. But he and Bernie Federko were here at the same time. He was never the best player on the team. Bernie was always the best player on the team when Brian was here. But Brian was the unquestioned captain and leader of the team. Look at David Beckus and what all of, the things, great example. all of the things that he did for the Blues, the, the little nuances that made him such a great leader. Yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And those are your Blues News and Notes on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, it is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. Before we get into some stories, Randy, I want to give a shout-out to Paul DeYoung. So the Cardinals sent out a release yesterday that Paul DeYoung has partnered with Players for the Planet and One Tree Planted to support reforestation efforts in Forest Park. He donated $5,000 to fund the planting of over 200 trees in a section of Forest Park's Nature Reserve uh, Successional Forest Site. And he's announcing a campaign for fans to join in his efforts by donating for funds at cardinals.com slash trees to one tree planted to support these efforts across the globe. Good for him. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Always love when players on our teams are pouring back into our community and um, there's there's a lot of great causes out there, but Forest Park, one of the gems of St. Louis. So thank you, Paul. Yeah. And obviously a, a guy who cares about the environment. That's right. Like it. You're killing me, Small. I just want to make more of an effort to shout out these things because we get a lot of these press releases and sometimes they go under the radar. Mm-hmm. But anytime that players are taking their money, their time, and their energy and pouring it back into St. Louis, I want to start shouting it out a little bit we more. We should. So thank Good. you, Paul DeYoung. An interesting Monday night football matchup, Randy. The Philadelphia Eagles at the Dallas Cowboys. A little divisional battle there. And the Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni is all about beating the Dallas Cowboys. In fact, the Eagles head coach was sporting a beat Dallas shirt to his news conference yesterday and he says that he's been hearing about beating the Cowboys ever since he took over the head coaching position in January. He said I really love the fact that I'm able to partake in this rivalry and it means a lot to the city to our team. It means a lot to this building. I'm wearing this shirt all week. My kids got it. My wife has one and yeah we're going to be wearing them. So he's wearing a shirt that says beat Dallas all week long. Love that. Nothing like being able to beat the Cowboys. Back in the day when the football Cardinals were good in the mid-70s they went down to Dallas and beat the Cowboys and after the game back then it was channel 2 was ABC and so the Monday night game was on channel 2 and after the game channel 2 had sent their reporter down there and Terry Metcalf shows up on live TV with a t-shirt that says Cowboys eat bird blank Ooh! it was great and multiple players had it Bob Underwood from uh, the St. Louis football Cardinals Twitter page has shown the picture in the past he's put the picture up maybe he will again but yeah everybody in America likes to beat the Cowboys and when you do then you should always have a Cowboys eat bird blank t-shirt available as well I like his commitment to it, too. He's really leaning in. It's not just, I'm going to wear this today. No, No. we're wearing this all week long. It's going to be a reminder in this building all week long that this is our goal. Yeah, that's a good goal to have. Good luck. So what happens if they lose? They're going to get drilled. (laughs) I know. I don't think they're going to win. So what happens when they lose? Then you just get a real sad loss to Dallas. We'll get him next time. (laughs) The the T-shirt on Tuesday morning says, turn the page. Yeah. Turn the page. 
You're killing me, Smalls. Well, somebody who's trying to turn the page even though they got a victory is Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. It was a tough game that Alabama had this past week versus Florida. They got the win 31-29. Alabama's sitting there at 3-0. and But there's a lot of headlines out there about the vulnerability of Alabama and how good they really are this year. And we know that Nick Saban can get annoyed during press conferences at times, especially when he feels like his team is not performing the way he expects them to. And there was a question, a seemingly innocuous question about tight end Jaleel Billingsley that was asked in Nick Saban's presser yesterday, but he didn't really like the question. Here's his response. Uh, yeah. What has uh, Jaleel Billingsley proven to you to see his role increased as the season's moved on? Well, he's doing what he's supposed to do. He practices better. Uh, he's more engaged. He's more focused on what he's supposed to do. And, and he's having more positive performance on the field, uh, which is what any player is supposed to do. I, th- I think that did, did any of you play sports? I mean, the coach is supposed to play the best players, right? And then it's up to the players to do what they're supposed to do so they get to play because they become one of the best players. So that's what he's doing now. Um, but I don't know, maybe if you didn't play, maybe that's not something that you quite get. Go to Aaron. So to answer your question, he's doing what he's supposed to do. What are your thoughts on that? Very condescending. Very from, condescending. From yeah. Coach Nick Saban to someone who I thought asked a pretty straightforward and simple question. Yeah. So, and maybe he's just upset because he wasn't one of the best players when he played at Kent State. I don't know, but to throw out the, did you guys ever play sports? I just thought that that was a little unnecessary. Yeah, not probably not a great card to play, but he can do anything he wants because he's true. Nick Saban. That's true. That's true. He could probably say anything up there, and it's yeah. never going to change anything. It's not going to change the way that he's approached. And I would imagine it's it might be intimidating at times if you're a reporter covering Alabama to ask questions right. because he will say things like that, and there's really nothing you could do or nothing negative that you can write. And if you do challenge him, yeah, the public is not going to be happy if you challenge Nick Saban in Alabama. There's really not much to challenge. No, but I mean, like, even if you come back and say, yeah, coach, I, I played sports at a high level. I played at Auburn, if you did. Uh, where'd you play? Hmm. I see. I see. Well, I thought the question was legit because Jaleel Billingsley hadn't seen a ton of action this year. He caught his first pass of the season versus Florida. So that's a natural question to ask. He hasn't seen a lot of action. We saw him versus Florida. What does he need to do to get more? Right. Simple. Simple. Yeah, not hard. Maybe Nick Saban hadn't had his oatmeal cream pies that day. It could be. Maybe he was just having an angry day. Yeah, do you think he was hangry? Yeah, very, very easily could Possible. We know he likes his routine, his coffee and his oatmeal cream Mm -hmm. pies. We know that. You're killing me, Smalls. And finally, Randy, I feel like I need to mention this because although it's not necessarily sports, we all did this together when there was no sports. We all watched Tiger King. Mm. Tiger King and The Last Dance became the sports of quarantine. And Netflix announced that Tiger King is coming out with, or excuse me, they're putting out season two of Tiger King. They pushed out a tweet. It says, Tiger King is coming back this year and season two promises just Oops, let me click this. Just as much mayhem and madness as season one, which I don't really know how they could provide more mayhem and more madness. Not in a, one. a reality setting. The only way they can provide more mayhem and madness is if it's staged and isn't a reality setting, right? You would think because isn't Joe Exotic still locked up? Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be hard for him to commit mayhem. 
But I imagine he's doing interviews from prison. Yeah. You know he likes the spotlight, Joe Exotic. And they've got the name. They've got the name value. So all they need to do is put it on the air and the people will at least watch the first couple episodes, right? I'll probably watch the entire thing. And you know what I'll probably do is go back and watch Tiger King again. That's a good idea. So I haven't watched it since quarantine. I forgot a lot. I just know that... um, Carol Baskin was accused of killing her husband, and Joe Exotic uh, had a murder-for-hire plot against her. A lot going on there. A lot happening. A lot happening. By the way, Michelle, we should point out that another part of not having sports during the pandemic was long gone summer and we interviewed man we, we did like 45 minutes with mark mcguire about that summer and we've talked to him since and yesterday afternoon after the game just a random text from mark mcguire talking about how fun it is to watch these cardinals and how he, he said the cardinals must have been listening to your show because they beat the padres and then they go on the 12 game winning streak just like we talked about big mac knows that everybody's streaming character and small on 101 espn download yeah. the app yeah. you can get it on the on the fun too if you He's, aren't already He's the best. And we're going to, we'll preview the wild card game with him once we get there because obviously he knows the Dodgers very well being in Southern California. He knows the Cardinals very well watching watching both games and has been the hitting coach for both organizations. So we'll get some good insight from Big Mac before the Cardinals play their wild card game on the 6th of October. How about that? I've just got him locked in there. I was going to say hopefully he can make it, but... I imagine if he's watching the game yesterday and texting you afterwards that he's going to be more than willing to come on the show and talk about it. And we have a lot of great conversations and get a lot of great insight from people on our show. Adam Wainwright certainly brings mm-hmm. it every week. David Perron always brings it. I always love talking to Tony LaRussa. But I think my favorite interviews I've ever done might be with Mark McGuire because he is so transparent and thorough in his responses. And every time I speak to him, I learn something. He teaches me something about baseball and about how to approach pressurized situations or about life or about the mental aspect of Mm -hmm. things. He's just, he's such a a great communicator. He really can explain things in a way for you to comprehend. That might be the thing is that there, there's probably people that know as much or more about hitting than him. Yeah. But I don't know that anybody can relay it as well as him. That's right. He's terrific. So I look forward to him joining us. Yeah, me too. <laughs> That's Michelle and a great job with your Killing Me Smalls. Next up on 101 ESPN, we're going to bring you up to date on the latest with the Ryder Cup, which is underway in Wisconsin. And we'll head down the stretch towards the Danny Mac Show on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Ryder Cup is underway up in Wisconsin. And it's going to be a great weekend at Whistling Straits. Kohler, Wisconsin is the name of the town. And it was built by the guy from Kohler Faucets and Toilets. Great spa there. Oh, big time. I've never been, but all my girlfriends in Chicago love to go to Kohler because they can go to the spa and their husbands play golf. That's a pretty good setup. Yeah, Kohler is a very popular destination in the Chicagoland area. They're underway, and Sergio Garcia and John Rahm's team leads Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. They're three up through 12, so not a good start for Thomas and Spieth. The other U.S. teams are doing okay. Dustin Johnson and Colin Morikawa one up against Paul Casey and Victor Hovland through 10. The pairing of Brooks Kepka and Daniel Berger has birdied number 10, so they have gone up one mm-hmm. on Lee Westwood and Matt Fitzpatrick through 10. And Ian Poulter and Rory McElroy thought that was going to be a really good pairing. They are down against Zantrick 
Uh, that's Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantley, yeah, yeah, who are Xander. buddies. The bromance going there. Yeah, we love it. Uh, Xander and Patrick, five up on Rory and Ian Poulter. Xantrick, let's go. Now, if the Ryder Cup does not fall our way, do we blame Carson Daly? Well, he was the one that was charged with making the motivational speech, wasn't he? Yes, he tweeted that he was going to Whistling Straits to, quote, fire up our Ryder Cup team. I'm telling you what they should have done. If they Was he hired? I don't know. Who's in charge here? I don't know. I can't imagine that Steve Stricker was like, let me go to my Rolodex. Who in my phone could really fire up the boys? Because there's only one it's play. Carson Daly. Yeah, at Carson this, Daly? This point in time. Love you, Carson, but no. Right? It's September 24th, 2021. Tiger was in his car accident, what, in February? Yeah. So what you have do, you, you do is you have Tiger wheeled in in a chair looking frail, all right? Uh, maybe he, he you I get him he like could look frail, Randy. No, you, you, you get him like a three X red Nike golf shirt and pants that are too big and make it look like he's lost a bunch of weight because he hasn't been able to do anything with his broken ankles. And then what you do is you bring him in on a walker. You don't have him. You don't have him in a wheelchair. You have him come in on a walker. No. Yes. And then you say, guys, he, he says, guys. I've been here before. I haven't had a lot of personal success, but I've been part of a U.S. victory over the Europeans. And I really want you guys to win. I, I, I think you can win. I think you can do whatever you want and have them take a, like another step and then pick the walker up and throw it away and say, you guys can do it. I know you can. And then run around and high five all of them. A plus for theatrics, A plus for dramatics, but I think a lot of these guys are already talking to to Tiger, so they know that he's not frail. They know that he's not with the walker. But we did just have the Olympics. I don't know, maybe Caleb Dressel, who is a gold medal winning swimmer for America, could pull from his experiences and provide our country and our representatives of our country with some uh, words of motivation. This is somebody who had a pandemic happen during his training it's true. and was able to still go out there and bring home the gold. Yeah. I would imagine that he could fire up the boys. Emily, your thoughts. I, w- I was thinking more of a, somebody on the text line just said that from the six, from the six, three, six, more of like a Willy Wonka with the cane when he's walking and then uh, falls, does the somersault and jumps up. That'd be perfect. Yeah. I don't know if Willy Wonka is your guy. Michael Phelps no, would have been good. I think they're saying Jay- Tiger no, could have like done enter that. that oh, way. Tiger oh, that, could have. That would have been spectacular. Tiger could have done yeah. the Wonka. Okay. Yeah. Or the other thing you could do, if you want to have the guys be fired up, bring some. if you're going to bring an Olympian, bring Simone Biles in. Say, hey, do it for your country, guys. She did. Yeah, I know she did. And she's she's extraordinarily decorated. She she came in at the end. She pulled through. Uh, but I mean, the she's she was spectacular here. She did it in the Olympics before. No, that's, she's great for that. She's if you if you want to get guys to fight for their country, she fought through a lot for her country. Now, what about this? Try this on for size. I think Tom Brady would be a good choice. Yeah, but he's busy. I think he could do a Zoom for Team USA. Yeah, he could have done that. He doesn't have to be there physically. Got, he could do a Zoom, but. Adam Wainwright's right there. Adam, Adam Wainwright is right there. I was thinking Tom Brady, not only because of all the success he's had, but people count him out all the time. Mm-hmm. If anybody knows about dedication and knows about the sacrifices needed to win and win big when it matters, it's Tom Brady. But how about somebody who literally was out? It wasn't counted out. Adam Wainwright was out. Definitely out. 
And he, he admits it. He says, hey, my, my career was over. And he's come back to be one of the best there is. So he, he can walk into that room with all those golfers and say, hey, guys, when it looks the worst, there's always goodness on the horizon. Alex Smith, another great story. That would have been great, too. So how how far down the Rolodex did we get before it landed on oh, Carson man. Daly? Or do you think whoever assigned well, Carson Daly this role is a close personal friend and just gave him a solid? Maybe that's it, because logically speaking, you would go Ryan Seacrest before Carson Daly, right? Hmm. I don't really know. And Ryan Seacrest says, yeah, I'm busy. Sorry. I don't know if either of them is really in the category of... Motivational speaker no, but for if you're the gonna U.S. Writer Cup. If you're going to get a guy that hosts a reality show, hmm. Andy Cohen, yeah, who's a big sports guy. Right. I know Carson Daly's a golf guy, yeah, so, well, but I could see Andy Cohen firing up the, the guys. Hopefully, it worked for Team USA. I am heading out on staycation, Michelle. I'm going to play some golf next week. Uh, I, I had built up. I looked at our ADP and built up 206 hours of vacation by the end of the year, and thought I better take that because it's not going to roll over. So I'm going to take some over the course of the next few weeks. Take some vacay, and well deserved. And I hope you enjoy your golf. It's beautiful outside. However, um, in retrospect, I wish maybe in June when things weren't going so well, we would have encouraged you to take the week off because I need your positive mojo to keep this Cardinals run alive. We know that yeah. we are superstitious. We're not superstitious, but we're a little stitious mm-hmm. here on Character and Smallman. And I like things to continue on the same path. I'll be watching. You can okay. text me anytime. Okay. Good. Yeah. So. Continue to watch. Continue to do your routine. Just yeah. put those positive vibes out there. I'll be on the Twitter. Anybody that needs to get in touch with me can. I'll, I'll, I'll be there for you. Uh, great job, as always, by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great weekend, Randy. Have I, a great week. I will try to do that. <laughs> Thank you very much. And, Michelle, we will see you in Wisconsin. That's right. The next time I see you, we'll be in Green Bay at Lambeau. It'll be great. And we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until Monday morning, for Michelle and Emily at 7, have a great weekend, St. Louis. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.